Fighting for the Faith is listener-supported radio. That means we depend upon the generous financial contributions of our listeners in order to continue bringing Fighting for the Faith to you. Uh, would you please uh, support Fighting for the Faith financially by joining our crew or sending in a donation to uh, support us financially? You can do so by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com. Click on the Join Our Crew button. That's a mere $6.95 a month. Or if you'd like to make a flat contribution, you can do so by clicking on the Donate button or making your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith and sending it to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Thank you for your support. It's time for another edition of Fighting for the Faith, Friday, October 14th, 2011. I feel like I'm coming limping in this week. And I do that from time to time. I just, you know, <clears throat> takes a lot of work to put this program together. And I usually try to find themes. And I think I got one worked out today, but I, I'm, not, I'm just not convinced it's going to work. So we'll consider this an experimental edition of Fighting the Faith. Thank you for tuning in. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. My name is Chris Roseborough, and I am your servant in Jesus Christ, and this is the program that dishes up a daily dose of biblical discernment, the goal of which, help you to think biblically, help you to think critically, and to help you compare what people are saying in the name of God to the Word of God. There's a lot of crazy things being said out there. You just kind of reel it in and go, is, the, is that what the Bible really teaches? And you open up the Bible and you look in context. See, I'm telling you, 90%, 90% of the false doctrine that's out there relies on out-of-context verses. You just pop those verses back in context. You read five verses before that verse. You read five verses after that verse. So you read the whole chapter and you'll get an idea as to what's going on, and all of a sudden, poof, the false teaching disappears, and you realize, well, that's not what the biblical text taught at all. Where did that guy get that from? And sometimes it's a well-meaning mistake, and a lot of times, uh, well, it's not that. It's <laughs> it's just something different. So you you got to do the biblical work. You don't take anyone's you don't take anyone's word for it. I mean, we're dealing with basically eternity here, and so you want to make sure that you're 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 not distracted by bright shiny things. You you want to really truly believe the truth. As a Christian, we we can know that God's word is true. Jesus put his stamp of approval on it. So we trust Jesus, and we make sure that. What we're being taught from the pulpit Sunday after Sunday after Sunday isn't mythology or the traditions of men or the vain imaginations of uh, of somebody who's well self-absorbed and narcissistic. No, no, no. You just let's if if you hear your pastor preaching Sunday after Sunday about Jesus and what he's done for you, and is preaching the law in such a way to nail you to the wall and basically say you are a sinner that you ain't got nothing that god that god wants <laughs> your good works they're, they're, it's just not going to be enough and you know not at all uh instead let me tell you about jesus he lived a perfectly sinless life 
and his righteousness is given to you as a gift by faith. And your, your filth, your wretched sinfulness, well, that was what was put on him when he was lying naked, beaten, scourged, and nailed to a cross. That was all your sin that was on him. He was being punished in your place. If, if that's what you're hearing Sunday after Sunday, oh, consider yourself blessed. You have a Christian pastor, a pastor who understands that it's all about Christ and what he's done for you. And that gospel is what it it it, it raises you from the dead literally. Um it regenerates you. It 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 changes everything. Because then you realize that the reason for doing good works has absolutely nothing to do with earning brownie points or the star putting stars on your star chart with God. No, the reason you do good works is literally because you are a new creation in Christ, and that new creation does good works. And so you wrestle and you mortify, mortify your sinful flesh, because you you have you have you have a new will, you have a new you have new motivation to do things, and it has nothing to do with earning your standing before God. If if you think that by your good works you earn your standing before God, well, then you you haven't actually come to faith yet. You actually still do not trust in Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins because you're trying to earn your standing with God, merit his favor by your paltry, measly, broken, sinful um, good works. Um, And how, how does the Bible describe our good works? Oh yeah, as filthy rags. Think menstrual rags. That's the biblical description of our good works. So if you think you're going to be saved by your good works, you don't even know what sin is, and you, you have no idea what a good work is. Stop striving. Receive the free gift of the forgiveness of sins. Repent and believe the good news. If that's what you're hearing Sunday after Sunday, well, then you are blessed. And if that's not what you're hearing, um, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> how's the saying go? Maybe you and I should have a come-to-Jesus meeting. <laughs> I hated that that phrase in the corporate world, but that's kind of the idea. It's like so. Think of fighting for the faith as a daily edition, or at least five days a week edition of a come to Jesus meeting. And uh, let me and the Jesus that we're going to be meeting with, it's the one of Scripture, the one who bled and died for you, the one who loves you and and literally propitiated the wrath of God and atoned for your sins on the cross. All right, so let's talk about what we're going to talk about on today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. We've got a zinger for you. Now, I, I got to warn you, our number two of Fighting for the Faith, it's, uh, it, it's well, <laughs> what we're going to be listening to is just not the best radio out there. Let, let's just put it that way. But I, I am defending my right to... Well, play this uh, because of the need to, uh, you know, to you know, continue to hammer away at a false practice and a false idea that is running rampant through uh, the, the seeker-driven church circles. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I just want to warn you ahead of time. Hour number two, um, he, the the lecturer that we're going to be listening to, we're not going to be listening to a sermon. We're going to be actually be listening to a lecture that was uh, delivered. At a recent exponential conference, this is a seeker-driven uh, church planter, church leadership conference, and I think it's a, it's affiliated with, in some way, the leadership network folks, and uh, and so we're going to be listening to one of the world's authorities on vision casting, 
um, giving a lecture on, on, on how to personally find your vision, your specific and unique vision for you. And, and so, in fact, I think uh, the, I think this is Will Mancini who we're going to be listening to, and he's written a book called Church Unique, and uh, he's one of the foremost authorities on vision casting. And after listening to his lecture, um, <laughs> I was more lost than than before regarding the whole vision casting thing. So, uh, you know, but uh, what we're going to do though, we're going to start off with uh, an email. Uh, Christine Pack of the Solar Sisters left a, uh, an answer on my Facebook wall to the question I was asking on on uh, Monday's edition of Fighting for the Faith, uh, dealing with centering prayer and basically asking the question, you know, how is it that people are thinking that this is biblical or or that somehow you know, considering its source, okay, uh, the primary source of centering prayer coming from these three Roman Catholic Cistercian monks. Uh, one of them uh, being Thomas Keating, and he explaining that the the real the goal of the whole uh, practice itself of centering prayer is for you to discover that you are God. Uh, you know, my question: How could anybody th- think that they could somehow baptize this and make it okay? And so, uh, Christine Pack, who spent some time doing New Age practices, we are, we interviewed her a while ago here at Fighting for the Faith, but uh, she. She took a crack at uh, you know at trying to answer that question. I thought it was worth passing along. And then, if you follow me on Facebook and Twitter, if you follow me on Facebook and Twitter, then you know I have some explaining to do. <laughs> That's about the only way I can put it. Um, what we're going to be doing uh, after I read my email is talking about um, <laughs> the, the the brand new thing that I've just invented called Shadow Go Backwards. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, so here's the deal. Uh, I've uh, uh, well, I, I'm now the inventor of the the next move of God, of course, and uh, the, I've named it Shadow Go Backwards. And, you know, I've taken I've learned from guys like uh, Mark Batterson and his, you know, in a pit on a, in, a, in a pit with a lion on a snowy day, and his, and then you got chasing the wild goose. You, uh, you can even say Wilkerson in his book on the prayer of Jabez. Jabez, and then you've got Stephen Furtick and his uh, his book out there on the Sun Stand. Still, I have I've I've seen this happen enough that I've actually figured out the template. And so, what we're going to do is we're going to uh, deconstruct a, a, a product based move of God mm-hmm, that I've created. I've created a brand new product, uh, and the, the name of the product well, it, it's a whole course. It's a whole way of living. It's a whole way of doing prayer, apparently. Uh, and, and, and it's called Shadow Go Backwards. Yeah, that's right. And so I'm going to teach you all about how to pray Shadow Go Backwards prayers. And uh, and we're going to deconstruct the, the entire template of how you can create a product-based move of God, a move of the Spirit. And um, and <laughs> when you see how this is done, you will understand exactly what it is that I was up to on Facebook and Twitter over the last 24 hours. And uh, and you, it'll all make sense. So and um, oh, and then what else are we going to talk about here? Hang on a second here. I've got a I got a oh, yeah. <laughs> 
Oh man, um, yeah. So then after that, when we we'll, we'll probably come back from that in, in yeah I, that'll first break after the uh, shadow go backwards stuff, and then when we come back, I did. It's like the unholy trinity. I <laughs> found a video <laughs> that I just I, <laughs> the combination was just too good to pass up. I've literally got a video of Pastor Benny Hinn, <clears throat> pastor in quotation, uh, Apostle Chuck Pierce and uh, and Barbie Breathitt all together on the same television <laughs> program. And oh, man. Oh, man. <laughs> Tinfoil pyramid hat, bendy straws, duct tape will be necessary as I play audio from that segment. And uh, and then my hope is to uh, read to you another fantastic blog piece from the uh, uh, Cripplegate uh, uh, blog. That's at uh, thecripplegate.com. Uh, one of the contributors there, his name is Eric Davis, and he has written just a fantastic um, article entitled Church Planters and Mission... Missionolatry. You've heard of missional church plants? Well, he's talking about missionolatry. And uh, he's done a fine job in uh, in in his commentary here, worth passing along too. So, uh, we got a lot of ground to cover today. Uh, bendy straws, duct tape, pinfo- uh, tinfoil pyramid hat, knee pads, um, and maybe even a mouth guard. I, I I'm thinking that that may be necessary for today's edition of Fighting for the Faith. But I'll start off slow. We'll kind of ease into things so that uh, you know that your head doesn't explode. Because I do know that if I just charge away and you know and and you know you know put you know put my foot down on the acceleration on the you know, on the gas pedal and this thing just takes off uh yeah your head is likely to explode today so i do think that it's necessary in light of some of the things that we're going to be talking about on today's uh, Fighting for the Faith, that uh, I play our standard warning. So uh, here we go. Warning. Fighting for the faith can be dangerous to your health. Listening with caution is strongly urged while doing any of the following activities. Operating heavy, deadly equipment, playing Farmville, or any time-wasting, brain-numbing activity. For sudden awakening at the sound of a particularly stupid isogetical statement could cause neck strain. Drinking liquids, drinking hot liquids, having liquids too nearby, not having any liquids nearby. The following medical conditions have been known to occur while listening to Fighting for the Faith. Cranial keyboard embedment syndrome, sinu-nasal liquid spewment disorder, steering wheel pounding clenched fist strain, continual gaping dry mouth atosis, and frustrative disbelief brain explosion. Please take proper precautions. Drinking straws, padding, and duct tape are recommended. There you go. So that's our warning for today. And let's dive into this here. Um, dun, 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 dun. Just so you know, if you do want to send me a message, um, you can send it to me on Facebook. You can send it to me via email or Twitter. You know, So yeah, I'll let you decide how you want to contact me. And uh, if you listen to Fighting for the Faith, you get all of those uh, the inf- relevant information regarding that fairly regularly. Right, this uh, this well, it's a Facebook wall answer to my question uh, written by Christine Pack of the Solar Sister. She writes, "Okay, um, Chris, a little feedback on your October tenth, twenty eleven Centering Prayer program, where you connected Shirley MacLaine, Roman Catholic mystic Thomas Keating, Dallas Willard, Richard Foster, and Rick Warren, and you asked how could a Christian engage in something as blatantly unbiblical." 
as Centering Prayer, which was developed by Universalist Thomas Keating. I, I've struggled with this question myself since God saved me out of mysticism and into my new life in Christ. In my experience, people have responded one of two ways. Number one, they say that since their intention is not to connect to, pag to a pagan god, they are therefore free to use this method or any method for approaching God. The idea seems to be that one's intention has some kind of magical ability to somehow confer protective powers to the practitioner. My response to that is Leviticus chapter 10. Okay, well, hang on a second here. She's given me a biblical reference. I've got my computerized Bible open. Let's, um, yeah, <laughs> this is what I thought. Christine, this is actually a great passage, and in fact, I'm going to read this. Uh, so so the, the issue is, is she's trying to ask the, answer the question, how is it that people can somehow think that they could do this, uh, to, considering the fact who it was made by and what he made it for? Um, she basically says that since their intention is not to connect with a pagan god, that somehow their intentions... Uh, clean everything up, and she says, "See that." So that's answer number one. See Leviticus chapter ten. Leviticus chapter ten reads uh, from the ESV. That would be the English Sanctified Version. Um, uh, now Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put in it, uh, uh, put fire in it, and laid incense on it, and offered unauthorized fire before the Lord, uh, which he had not commanded them. And fire came out from before the Lord and consumed them, and they died before the Lord. Oh, but see, Christine, that's such a negative passage. I mean, I mean can't you tell that their intentions were good? All they wanted to do was make an offering to God, and they wanted to offer God fire. <laughs> and despite their intentions, well, God killed them. And so, yeah, okay, I get your point there. So, yeah, I agree with you. They offered strange fire, and, and they didn't survive. So, yeah, I, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. So, number two, they also respond by um, by telling me that an authority figure that they trust, friend, pastor, or seminary professor, taught them that this was a Christian practice for deepening their spiritual walk and for aiding in spiritual maturity. And, of course, the practice practices themselves being spiritual in nature are sort of self-reinforcing. But the deception here is that Christians today seem to think that any spiritual experience they have has to be coming from God and the heavenly realm. Yeah, that's exactly what they think. Uh, they don't heed scripture, which tells us that Satan is a spiritual being himself and that he operates in the spiritual realm and that he can masquerade as an angel of light which means he can present himself in a way that is, well, appealing. So, yes, they are making contact with the spiritual realm by following these techniques, but it's not God that they're connecting to. So, great answers, Christine, and uh, thank you for your feedback. I completely agree with you. Yeah, just because you've had a spiritual experience, just because you've experienced some kind of, you know, some kind of peaceful spiritual bliss or euphoria, doesn't mean that that came from God the Holy Spirit, because remember, Satan masquerades as an angel of light. He's not going to come to you with a pitchfork. He's not going to come to you, you know, with his demon face on. No, 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 no. He's going to do his best to put on some angelic makeup, and you know, and and let his little light of his shine, so that uh, you'll sit there and go, "Oh, look, it's an angelic being, and he shines like the brightness of the sun." Oh, and he makes me feel peaceful, too. 
Oh, it must be God. Yeah, no. Yeah, no. In fact, nowhere in the Bible are we told anywhere to pursue these types of experiences. So that should be like the number one tip-off. Wait a second. If this practice isn't taught in the Bible and God has not commanded us to do this and has not promised that by doing this we can, quote, experience his presence, yeah, um, chances are that falls into the category of a practice developed not by God, but by the um, the angel impersonating factory uh, and, uh, and its chief. Uh, well, that would be the devil. Anyway, so uh, thank you, Christine. Great response. Okay, moving along here. Now, I do not, do not have, uh, haven't fully developed my product here yet. So um, I don't have music for this next segment. But uh, it, I, I don't think we'll be reviewing this because I, I after today you'll see that I have made my point. Uh, but I, I need to open up my iPad here so that I can uh, take a look at the notes that I've written for myself for this next segment here at uh, Fighting for the Faith. And that is this, okay? Um, I'm going to deconstruct a product-based move of God, a product-based move of God. And I want you to have in your mind, um, uh, well, the same kind of book, if you would. If this were to be a product, it would be a product just like Stephen Furtick's Sun Standstill book, okay? And what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you how you can uh, deceive the masses and make millions. Um, yeah, consider this to be just highly dangerous information. But uh, I've, I've figured out their template, and uh, I want to share it with you uh, using a fictitious uh, name for a book that I haven't written entitled uh, Shadow Go Backwards. Yeah, that's, it's called Shadow B Go Backwards. Uh, that's the name of the book that, um, that I will be... Um, fictitiously publishing for today and i i've done some i've done some market research on shadow go backwards and i got to tell you <laughs> yeah it's um uh, yes this this one this product has got potential this one could be the next big thing uh but anyway so here's here so here's how the template works with books like in a pit <laughs> In a pit with a lion on a snowy day, or chase the wild goose, or uh, sun stand still, or you know any of that kind of nonsense. Uh, you know, I'm sure uh, Perry Noble's new book uh, will engage in similar type of um, things. But uh, it, it, so here's how it works. Okay, this is the template. Number one. So the, the first thing you've got to do if you want to create a, a product-based move of God. Yeah. Number one, you need to find an obscure Old Testament text that has little has a little known event or a prayer or some kind of a miracle in it uh that uh, that is not readily remember you know remembered by a lot of people in the church and this is really getting easier to do as a result of the blatant blatant and growing biblical illiteracy in uh, the American evangelical masses right now so doing this the so number one is just finding a, an obscure text or uh, you know a story that you can kind of tell now um, so what you have to do is find the text first, and then you read the text, allegorize it, and then make it about you. you what you need to do is you got to hijack the text, and so and and focus the allegory then uh, from this biblical text on uh, on the problems that people face every day. You know, for instance, financial struggles, struggles at work, struggles with a job, um, uh, f you know, failing relationships, things like that. Okay. 
And so what you you got to allegorize the text and then and then kind of eisegete it in such a way that this somehow has something to do with solving financial problems or relationship issues or job problems or or you know or, or you know founding a business or something like that. So to demonstrate how this template works for uh, Shadow Go Backwards, I will be reading from the uh, from the Old Testament text found in Second Kings. Uh, chapter 20, 2 Kings chapter 20, and I'll I'll start at verse 1. So 2 Kings chapter 20, starting at verse 1, here, here's, here's the story we read. So in those days, Hezekiah, that's the king, uh, I think king of Judah, uh, he became sick and he was at the point of death. And Isaiah, the prophet, the son of Amos, came and said to him, thus says the Lord, set your house in order for you shall die, you shall not recover. Then Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, and he prayed to the Lord, saying, Now, O Lord, please remember how I have walked before you in faithfulness and with a whole heart, and have done what is good in your sight. And Hezekiah, he wept bitterly. And before Isaiah had gone out of the middle court, the word of the Lord came to him, Turn back and say to Hezekiah, the leader of my people, Thus says the Lord, the God of David, your father, I have heard your prayer. I have seen your tears. Behold, I will heal you. And on the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord, and I will add 15 years to your life. I will deliver you to this city out of the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for my servant David's sake. And Isaiah said, Bring a cake of figs and let them take it and lay it on the boil that he may recover. And then Hezekiah said to Isaiah, What shall be the sign that the Lord will heal me? and that I shall go up to the house of the Lord on the third day. And Isaiah said, This shall be the sign to you from the Lord, that the Lord will do the thing that he has promised. Shall the shadow go forward ten steps or go backwards ten steps? Hezekiah answered, It is an easy thing for the shadow to lengthen ten steps. Rather, let the shadow go backward ten steps. And Isaiah the prophet called to the Lord, and he brought the shadow back. Ten steps, and by which it had gone down the steps of Ahaz. So there you go. There's our biblical text. And now all you got to do is you got to allegorize it. Are you to the point where you've heard the report that the relationship's over, your marriage is kaput, that you're you're going to be fired? Well, don't worry. You just need to have the audacious faith to pray just like Hezekiah prayed prayed like Hezekiah prayed, and reverse that verdict. You you need to have the audacity and the strength of faith to not accept the circumstances, to not accept the verdict, but to instead pray a, 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 um, a shadow-go-backwards prayer. And by praying a shadow-go-backwards prayer, you can turn everything around. You can take your broken marriage, and it will live. It won't die. You can take your financial situation, those bills you can't pay, and you're not going to die. No, God's going to give you the provision you need. All you've got to do is do what Hezekiah did and pray a shadow-go-backwards prayer. See, that's how this works, okay? So, And then it's important that uh, you know, when you, when you, after you allegorize it and then start applying it in such a way, what you're doing is you're hijacking the text so that you know you can apply it in this way, and it, to kind of lend more credibility then to your product, what you need to do is talk about God speaking to your heart and say something like this: you know, you know, when I first read this passage, you know, 
it, it didn't really even make much of an impact on me. It wasn't until later that I felt God really speaking to me in my heart about this passage and how important it is for people to learn this this truth from God's word that they they too like Hezekiah need to learn how to pray shadow go backwards prayer and I you know I wasn't sure about this and so um I you know I I decided to test that prompting that I felt was coming from God inside of my heart and uh and so uh, there was a situation in my life oh it was a dire situation it was oh it I was to the I was literally on the on the steps of disaster and I thought you know God's laid it on my heart to teach the world about shadow go backwards prayers but what kind of an example would I be if I didn't have the audacious faith necessary to even pray the prayer and apply it in my own life and so I bravely and boldly just like Hezekiah prayed a shadow go backwards prayer over this tough situation in my life. And I'm glad to report that after doing that, not only did the situation turn around, oh man, the situation turned, I, I, in fact, I practically saved the entire world. And you see, I don't, I'm so humble. I don't really give too many details about how that happened. But during the time when we talk about the testimonies of those who people whose those people whose lives have been changed and transformed by shadow go backwards prayers. When, when we get to that, I'll I'll humbly confess to you how I saved the world by praying a shadow go backwards prayer. It's tr- it's absolutely true. So so that's okay. So that's the idea. So you fir- you got to first find an obscure Old Testament text. You hijack it, allegorize it, make it about. The, just the everyday problems that everybody that that you know everybody faces. Speak about it. Uh, you got to talk about it in such a way that God is the one who wanted you to learn this lesson. So you got to talk about Him speaking in your heart. And then what you got to do is you have to start asking challenge challenge questions. And the challenge questions go like this: Imagine how much your life would change for the better if you just had the audacious enough faith to pray shadow go backwards prayers. I mean, seriously, what have you got to lose? I mean, imagine how much how much greater your life would be when God starts answering these audacious, praying for the impossible shadow go backwards prayers. I mean, look at Hezekiah's life. I mean, he actually, I mean, his situation was so dire, he heard from God himself that he was going to die. But he had the audacity to 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 ask God to reverse the verdict just to not let him die but to let him di- to but to let him live and obviously God saw his audacious faith and said you know that impresses me so if you really want to impress God if you want to get his if you want to get his attention you've got to learn how to pray these shadow go backwards prayers so imagine how much better your life would be when you have the audacious faith necessary to pray like Hezekiah did it, see, so that's what you got to do. You got to ask these challenge questions, and then the next part of this is is that you need to effectively use social media like Facebook and Twitter to create buzz and to have people give testimonies about their success experiences as they've learned how to pray. You know, shadow go backwards prayers or whatever it is that you're trying to to do, and and then what you do is you collect those testimonies and you tell people that shadow go backwards prayers it's all about changing lives and so what you do is you give testimonies of people whose lives have been changed using 
shadow go backwards prayers. And so uh, I'd like to read to you some of the testimonies that we've been getting. I mean, literally in the last 24 hours. I mean, the, I, I created, you know, <laughs> I actually didn't create it. It was a listener who created it. But um, we, we've, we're, we're, we've implemented the use of a hashtag on Twitter. And it's a hashtag shadow go backwards. And it, we are being flooded with testimonies. Uh, of people who've just done the audacious impossible in their lives. Their lives have been changed. We're, we're talking about life transformation just instantly, like you wouldn't believe, as a result of people who have audaciously prayed these shadow-go-backwards prayers. And I'd like to read some of those testimonies to you. So uh, Jen writes, she says, Chris, today I prayed a shadow-go-backwards prayer. And I was rewarded when a Nigerian contacted me via email about a bank transfer. Talk about audacious. <laughs> Somebody named Reform Fundy, he writes, he says, Chris, I just lost 15 pounds thanks to Shadow Go Backwards prayers. That, that is absolutely a, a amazing, Reformed Fundy. I, I don't even know. Oh, I, I mean... So we're talking about weight loss miracles, weight loss miracles right here. Talk about life change. People's lives are being changed right here, right now, as a result of, of uh, Shadow Go Backwards prayers. Um, it, it, uh, uh, this gentleman writes, his name is Dulas to Christu, that would be a slave or servant of Christ. He writes, he says, Chris, I prayed a Shadow Go Backwards prayer and my lost dog came home. Now, albeit he was inside out, nevertheless, my luck seems to be changing. Oh, this is that's just great news. So uh, uh, another person writes, says, Chris, I, I started. It started to rain while I was paying for my groceries, so I prayed a shadow go backwards prayer, and I stepped right out into sunshine. Oh, that's amazing. That's just absolutely, absolutely amazing. Um, he, he, another person writes, Chris, the bank just put my money back into my account thanks to a shadow go backwards prayer. This, see. We're talking about major life change occurring right here, right now, as a result of this revolutionary new prayer that I've developed. I think this is Chris Roberts. He writes, he says, uh, Chris, with the shadow go backwards, my hair loss has reversed itself. That is amazing. So we're having we're having hair, rega hair regrowth miracles as a result of shadow go backwards prayers. This person writes, oh, listen to this. I just saved 100% on my car insurance thanks to Shadow Go Backwards prayers. Yeah, I mean, see, Shadow Go Backwards prayers, they're even better than Geico. I mean, so, I mean, do, see, do you, have, do you have the audacious faith to capture the dreams that are possible in your life as a result of Shadow Go Backwards prayers? I mean, why would you settle for the mundane in your life when you can have things completely turn around and live life on the edge and and have and make your life count and make a difference in the world by praying shadow go backwards prayers? Um, here we go, uh, Chris. I preached. Uh, I preached from shadow go backwards this week, and sixteen people made commitments to God's call on their bank accounts. Wow! Praise the Lord. That is amazing. Chris, once I started reading Shadow Go Backwards at the dinner table, all of my live-in 35-year-old children decided to move out of my basement. Oh, what? see? Lives are changing right here, right now, as a result of these Shadow Go Backwards prayer. Another one writes, Chris, I prayed Shadow Go Backwards prayer, and now all, all of my money has been released from the curse without me even having to tithe. Oh, unbelievable. Unbelievable. Uh, here, another person writes, says, Chris, I eat donuts and french fries all day, but I lose weight because of shadow go backwards. Oh, that's oh, just unbelievable. 
This this one's from Daniel, and he writes, Chris, I prayed a shadow go backwards prayer, and my bald spot turned into a faux hawk. Oh, unbelievable. Well, I mean, just all of this life change that is going on here as a result of this life-transforming prayer that I've discovered in the Old Testament. Another person writes, Chris, I prayed a shadow go backwards prayer, and sure enough, I birthed my next level. That is just amazing. That is just amazing. Now, it's important to note that the person who wrote this is a guy. So, um, but that that shouldn't that shouldn't you know make it you feel like it's impossible for a guy to birth his next level. I mean, God did give him a spiritual womb. So, uh, moving along here, um, here's one. It says, Chris, after praying a shadow go backwards prayer, I was able to find both Waldo and Carmen San Diego. Unbelievable. Chris, after praying a shadow go backwards prayer, I was able to out roundhouse kick Chuck Norris. Wow. I did not even know that that was possible. Just I had no idea that that was even possible. Here's another. I I prayed a shadow go backwards prayer, and I was able to defeat Rex Kwon Do by giving him a wedgie with his own Bible pants. Wow. (laughs) These stories are just absolutely amazing. Amazing. I mean, look at how many lives have been changed as a result of shadow go backwards prayer. Now, I promised you that I would humbly tell you how I saved the world, literally saved the world as a result of um, using the shadow go backwards prayer. Well, it's true. And let me confess this to you. Back during the time when William Tapley was basically predicting the end of the world and that Comet Elenin was somehow a harbinger of of death and destruction for our planet, it was during that time that I was developing the concept of the shadow go backwards prayer. And um, I got to tell you, I prayed a shadow go backwards prayer regarding Comet Elenin. And as a result of my prayer, Comet Elenin exploded and is no longer a threat to our planet. So, I th- I mean that just should tell you about the tr- you know, the power and effectiveness of of changed lives and what a shadow go backwards prayer can do. So, all right, so now you got the idea here. So, uh, let, let's let's review. Um First thing you do is you uh, you, you, you basically you got to find an obscure Old Testament text that has a little known event, prayer, or miracle. We're using Second Kings chapter twenty. You read the text, allegorize it, hijack it, make it about you. Focus the allegory on problem solving regarding everyday struggles that everybody faced. Make sure that you say something about God speaking to your heart while you were discovering this truth. Ask some challenge questions about, you know, like imagine how life, how much your life would change if you had the audacity to pray such prayers. And then get people to give you testimonials and create buzz about the product uh, on uh, social media like Facebook and Twitter and things like that. Um, and then, uh, well, here's the deal. Uh, you do this kind of stuff, well, there's always going to be some Yahoo out there who actually knows the Bible. And it will start to challenge the whole concept, you know, using, you know, sound biblical hermeneutics and things like that. Well, you know, let, let me tell you ahead of time. Here's what you do. You ignore the haters. Yes, yeah, Don't dignify your critics with a response. Whatever you do, don't dignify uh <laughs> you're <laughs> oh my goodness hang on a second here this just in the, the i'm literally checking the uh the um shadow go backwards prayer uh, uh testimonial stream on the hashtag there on on twitter and yeah it's it's absolutely true richard dawkins 
uh, the uh, the you know of uh, you know the angry atheists, uh, the new atheist fame. Um, he has announced that um, that the shadow go backwards prayer has even worked for him. Can you believe it? Anyway, so here's the deal: if you get if you when when you got people coming out of the woodwork who know their Bible and saying that what you're doing is twisting the Bible, you don't. You just you call them haters. You don't dignify their criticisms with the response, and you ignore them, and you keep pointing to the transformed lives and the sheer numbers of people that are reading or buying or whatever. It, always point to that as the definite proof regarding the truthfulness of your of your concept or or your your of the you know your eisegetical allegorizing of the uh, of the of that particular text for the creation of your product and then make sure that you have a good marketing budget because everybody knows that in order to keep a a movement of god going you've got to have you you've got to pay people to do marketing to keep that movement of god going uh, don't whatever you do. Don't ask any questions though about you know, well, is it really a move of God if I have to pay a big marketing budget? Well, of course it is. Why would you doubt that? I mean, everybody knows that God, the Holy Spirit, needs a good marketing budget, and He can't do anything without that. So, uh, anyway, so there, there you go. It's um, you know, that's that's basically the deconstructing and the how-to. This is the template for um, you know, for. You know, how to start a product-based movement of God, the next big thing, if you would. And that's the template for doing it. And by the way, those of you who are questioning the truthfulness of Shadow Go Backwards Prayer, I want, I want to point you to some just some sheer raw numbers. I have been watching the Twitter stream for uh, the hashtag SunStandStill and comparing the, uh, the, the trending on uh, the t- Twitter stream for the hashtag Shadow Go Backwards. And I can say with absolute certainty... That Shadow Go Backwards has been out trending Sun Stand Still for the last 24 hours, literally at 10 to 1. We got 10, we got 10 tweets, we got 10 positive testimonials on our Shadow Go Backwards hashtag for every one that's posted on the Sun Stand Still hashtag, and that proves beyond a shadow of a doubt that this is truly a movement of God and the next big thing and this is the thing that God's up to because otherwise if if that were not the case then well, then why would we have bigger numbers than sun stand still see so that's how it works <laughs> and i wanted to basically deconstruct the whole thing for you having walked through this you know the 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 template for the last 24 hours to see how it kind of all plays out and sure enough sure enough that's exactly what's going on. But what does all of this mean? It, what it means is that people in the church are susceptible, as the scripture says, to all of these strange winds of doctrine. And these strange winds of doctrine are not really movements of God. They're movements of marketing prowess, of, well, smoke and mirrors and deception, and basically speaking in such a way to tell people what they want to hear rather than what they need to hear. Because whether it's shadow go backwards or sun stand still or the prayer of Jabez or in a pit on a you know in a pit on a snowy day with a lion or in a pit with a lion on a snowy day doesn't matter the template's all the same none of these are actually movements of God these are movements of men who really know how to work marketing and product uh, uh, messaging and things of that nature and are really adept at using social media and the Internet. But they're not moves of God because if they were truly moves of God, 
rather than pointing us to ourselves or pointing us to our audacious faith or pointing us to some bogus concept such as the prayer of Jabez or a shadow go backwards prayer or a sun stand still prayer, they would instead be pointing us to Jesus Christ. And that's the thing. All of these are nothing but bright, shiny distractions. Bright, shiny distractions that ha- that sweep people up in the moment and point them away from our great God and Savior who bled and died for us on the cross, Jesus Christ. Sun stands still, not a movement of God. In a pit with a lion on a snowy day, not a move of God. Prayer of Jabez, not a movement of God. And neither was shadow go backwards, but shadow go backwards was there for a reason to demonstrate a point. Because when you see it like this, you see the other things for what they are. Just flat out deceptive distractions that really do really good at helping the publisher and the author make a lot of money to point us away from Christ. All right. We are long overdue for our first break. If you would like to uh, email me regarding anything, anything that you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. We'll be right back. Because only good theology leads people to heaven, you're listening to Fighting for the Faith. You're listening to Pirate Christian Radio. We'll be taking your false doctrine now. <laughs> Hello, I wish to register a complaint. Uh, we're closing for lunch. Never mind that, my lad. I wish to complain about the sermon that I purchased a day ago from this very boutique. Uh, yes, uh, what, what's wrong with it? I'll tell you what's wrong with it, my lad. It's a dead sermon, that's what's wrong with it. No, not possible. You just preached it wrong. Look, matey, I know a dead sermon when I preach one, and I know that the sermon I preached yesterday was certainly dead. 
Jesus Christ wasn't mentioned once, not even in the footnotes. No, no, you just weren't charismatic enough. Remarkable sermon, beautiful imagery. The imagery don't enter into it. It's stone dead. No, 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 no. You're just not open-minded enough. All right, then. If it's not dead, then I should be able to preach the gospel. I read a portion of it. Ahem. And then the camp counselor told all of the woodland creatures to become more righteous, so that they, too, could get to the place called heaven. You, you see what I mean? This is ridiculous. There. I found the gospel in the sermon. No, you didn't. That was you just writing the word gospel on the cover of the room temperature sermon. Well, I never. Yes, you did. I, I never, never did anything. This entire sermon fails to preach anything that's worth anything to anyone. Now, that's what I call a dead sermon. No, no, no. You haven't looked deep enough into yourself. You must be joking. Yeah, well, you're just being divisive, and you refuse to accept the message that's being presented. Um, now, look. Now, look, mate. I've definitely had enough of this. That sermon is definitely rotten. And when I purchased it not but a day ago, you assured me that it was Christ-centered, cross-focused, and filled to bursting with the gospel. Well, if you would just read the title. Read the title? What kind of title is this anyway? Super Spiritual Happy Fun Friends Adventure Camp Pack. Well, this particular sermon is designed to draw large audiences, and that's what you said you wanted. It has lovely imagery. Look, I took the liberty of examining this sermon after I preached it, and I discovered the only reason why I bought it in the first place was because it had been put into the wrong sleeve packet. Well, of course it's in the wrong package sleeve. If I hadn't put a less suspicious cover on the sermon, you'd have had people chasing you just so that they can hear you preach it. Chasing me down the street? Mate, listen, people wouldn't be chasing me to hear this rubbish if I was firing midgets out of cannons. It's bleeding demise. You didn't buy the midget cannon expansion pack? The sermon has passed on. The sermon is no more. It has ceased to be. It's expired and gone to me and its maker. It's a stiff. Bereft of life, it burns in hell. If you hadn't put it in the wrong package sleeve, I would be using it for fire starter. The thought processes that brought it about are now history. It's off the twig. It's kicked the bucket. The bleeding choir invisible wouldn't listen to this sham. This is an ex-sermon. Uh, well, well, I, I'd better replace it then. Let's see here. Uh, Christ-centered, uh, gospel, Jesus. Well, sorry, Squire. I've had a look around in the back of the shop and, uh, well... We're right out of well, whatever it is that you're looking for. I see. I see. I get the picture. I, I got a sermon here from Rick Warren. Does it contain Jesus Christ and his atoning sacrifice? Well, no, not really. Well, that's hardly a replacement, is it? Look, if, if, if you're really dead set on the whole Jesus thing, I suggest that you look up Pirate Christian Radio. All they do is talk about Jesus 24-7. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Pirate Christian Radio? Very well, I'll give them a try. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheapo Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap.
We're back. Warning. Beware of people and pastors selling products that supposedly are supposed to transform your lives based upon, well, twisted passages from the Old Testament. Just a reminder, fighting for the faith, well, this is listener-supported radio. Unfortunately, I can't just pray a shadow-go-backwards prayer and poof, all of a sudden our financial uh, needs are met. No, actually, we depend upon you in order to meet our financial needs. And if you don't already support us, please do so. You can do that by clicking on the Donate button or the uh, Join Our Crew button on our website at fightingforthefaith.com. The Join Our Crew button, what you're doing is signing up to automatically contribute $6.95 on a monthly basis to the ongoing work and mission of Fighting for the Faith and Pirate Christian Radio. Of course, if you'd like to specify the amount, then you click on the Donate button, or you can make your gift payable to Fighting for the Faith, and then send that to Post Office Box 508, Fishers, Indiana, zip code 46038. Gee, babe, what do you want to do tonight? The same thing we do every night, Pinky. Try to take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain is Pinky and the Brain. All right, this can mean only one thing. We're going to be doing something of a Dominionist update. They'll take over the world. The Pinky and the Brain. Yes, Pinky and the Brain. The Twilight campaign is easy to explain. To prove their mousy worth, they'll overthrow the earth. The Pinky, the Pinky and the Brain. Brain, 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 brain. Brain, brain, brain. All right, let's dive right into it. Uh, re- <laughs> Looking at video on YouTube, that uh, recent appearance of uh, the so-called apostle Chuck Pierce, Barbie Breathitt, all appearing on Benny Hinn's program. Yeah, this is the kind of stuff that'll just boggle the mind. Here we go. A great program today. You are going to love it. I can First, hardly thanks for being my partner. Believe it. I yeah. really mean that. I should love you. Thank God for you. I pray the Lord will bless you and multiply you and bless the work of your hands. And the people said, Amen. Amen. I have with me. Chuck Pierce, my dear friend, and Barbie Brethet, who works with Chuck. Now, Barbie, of course, has a book called Dream Encounters, and I want to talk about it today just a little bit. Probably. probably you said, uh, notice the, <laughs> the music in the background, apparently designed to really help you uh, just feel like you're at home with Benny Hinn and Barbie Brethet and the so-called apostle Chuck Pierce. And the name of the book, Dream Encounters. Hmm, this seems like it might fall into the category of something similar to the Shadow Go Backwards prayers. Yeah, okay, let's find out what this is all about. The it's the really best book on dreams you can get. Really, why? I believe it explains the concept of the language. Dream, The dream language is a different language. And I think with a lot of people... So the dream language is a different language. Really? you got a Bible verse that says that? They don't understand what God's trying to say to them. This book is probably the most helpful, Pastor Benny, on understanding how the communication that God's bringing into you mm. through dream language is helping your destiny unlock. Yes. Mm. So do you want your destiny to unlock... 
That's right. Are you, is your is your destiny stuck in density? Um, well, you, you need to learn how to interpret the language of dreams because that's how God's trying to communicate to you so that you can unlock your your destiny from its density. Well, on the program yesterday, we talked about how the Lord speaks and what's going on now and the change that's taken place since the end of May when... America began to pull away from Israel, and you feel this is like this September, there's coming a, a change. I think the real way of understanding this is, remember when Jesus got baptized by John the Baptist? He went into the wilderness. He had to confront the enemy. Now, he wasn't just resisting all of your sin. He was doing more than that. He was establishing his messiahship mm. for the earth realm. What? <laughs> he was he was doing what? Really? You got a verse that says that Jesus was establishing his messiahship for the earth realm. Oh my. And in that I believe we are coming in now to this next 3 year period. Uh-huh. Where we're going to see the same type of demonstration in the earth. Mm-hmm that we saw during those three years where Jesus was demonstrating who God was in the earth realm and it created the next move of what the Spirit of God was doing and opened up Pentecost. And you call the kingdom mentality. I call that a kingdom mentality versus just us being in our own church fellowship structure. So not... This is not kingdom now. No, this no, is no, no. kingdom mentality. The whole this is where we think thing. kingdom. We see the kingdom demonstrated. The kingdom is within us. Right. You know what the scary part of all of this is is that to the the your average everyday pagan out there, they think this is what Christianity is about. Yeah, that's the scary part. We see that being demonstrated. I think that Barbie is what happens when we're having all these dreams and visions it's because god's unlocking what we're feeling on the inside he's communicating with us so we understand his kingdom okay now let's really let's talk about dream encounters oh yeah i want to i want to hear from you about this first of all why did you write this well, I believe it's a strategic language. It's a yeah, really a strategic language. The strategic dream language. Hmm. So, so dreaming is all about strategy. The language that crosses over cultural barriers, age barriers, gen- all different generations, because it's a single language that God communicates to every person in the whole world every night. He gives them a specific dream that deals with their life personally. So while you're sleeping, God's emailing you in a different language. But don't worry if you can't understand the language because Barbie has got it all worked out. Because God's about relationship. How often does God speak through dreams? I believe he's speaking through dreams all the time. You can learn something from a dream, whether it was given by God, generated by your soul, or the enemy. You can learn things from it because God's always changing us and transforming us. So a dream can point out a weakness that we have. It can talk about our destiny, where God's taking us into. It can bring healing and restoration to us. It's interesting when, when, when King Saul was judged by God, it says God stopped talking to him through dreams. Mm-hmm. Stop. And, and in also through other 
ways. Yeah, that would be the Urim and Thummim. Uh, God actually set up a way for uh, for the people of Israel to ask him questions and he would answer. There was a means by which he promised to do that. So the Lord talks to us in dreams, you say, all the time. But how do we know it's God? Well, yeah, that, that's a great question. How do you know it's not one of those, you know, angels of light that's actually the devil? There's different colors of the spirit that manifest in the dream. There's so you got to look at the color of the spirit, okay. The peace that's there. When God comes, we know him by the spirit of truth. The spirit of truth will lead and guide us into all truth. And so the spirit of God that's in us bears witness when he comes to visit us. I believe that he comes in night because he wants a face-to-face encounter. You know, people yeah, okay, sure. want to encounter God. They want to know God. They want relationship. And he wants that relationship with us more than we want it with him. And we live in such a busy world, he can't communicate with us. Exactly. Well, it's a- oh, yeah. Poor God. I mean, he's got a big man-shaped hole in his heart. And he really is just dying to talk to us. And about the only time he can do that is when we're resting. So he sneaks into our bedrooms and, and just start speaking to us in dream languages because he's he just so wants to talk to us but we're so busy that we never make time for him what a poor god as in job that god comes once he comes twice to keep us back from our ways through dreams and he speaks in a way that we don't understand because he's speaking through a symbolic language so it takes us uh, why why doesn't god just learn english pursuing him Asking him and seeking his face for understanding. He speaks through the spirit of understanding and revelation. Knowledge comes to us so that we begin to be transformed into his image. Now you talk- So we're going to be transformed into his image by dreams and visions. Uh, I'm going to beat my head against my desk here in a second. Talk here about types of dreams. What do you mean by that? Well, there are different types of dreams. They're calling dreams which a lot of times will point got any verses on that to your destiny of who you're going to be a dream can tell who you were who you are and who you're going to be and so as you begin to learn the different languages of the dream you can begin to step into and be transformed and step into a calling which is usually when you have a calling dream you're not prepared for it you think that's too magnificent I'll never be able to do that and that's true with man it's impossible but with God all things are possible and so God begins to transform us he works on our character our integrity he gives us skill and gifting so that we can begin to move into and become the person that God has called us to be now I I did ask earlier and I'd like to ask again how do we know that God is speaking through dreams just one more time uh, yeah can you give can you give us a, the long and the short there you said peace but what else peace. colors she said colors comes your spirit bears witness well and you evaluate it based upon your communion with him the word the word of the lord will will align now here's the thing with dreams though guys it's got a different symbolic structure but you can still decode it with the word of god that's it and so it's not like and it's it's unique to you Mm -hmm. i mean God's communication to you through dreams is very unique, yet there is a table of understanding that you can decode it. Like it's interesting that... Okay, so rather than reading the Bible for understanding, you, the Bible is now turned into a decoder book. Really? I mean, serious. Ugh, this is just a mess. Joseph saw birds 
as something that was not good, frankly, mm -hmm. for, the, for the baker. Right. They were eating from the basket. He said, that means your head. So where did he get that from? Well, see, at that point, it's a covenant, you know, where he got it, because he had heard the covenant story between uh, Abraham when Abraham had to shoo the birds away from the covenant that tried to peck away. <sighs> okay, I can't, can't handle it anymore. Yeah, I think you get the idea. What, what's, what gets lost in all of this? Jesus, a sound pre preaching of Christ and him crucified for our sins, repentance and the forgiveness of sins, and reading God's word the way it's intended to be read in context. So now, now we're just turning the Bible into some big decoder book. You know, it, it, it you know, be like the movie, you know, Christmas story. You know, you get your little orphan Annie decoder ring and, you know, sit down, you know, in your bathroom decoding the secret messages that are coming to you at night and uh, that's just not what the Bible is about. Unbelievable. All right. I, I got to switch gears one more time here. And uh, the, just one more thing I want to read to you before we uh, go into our second break and, uh, and then uh, do what? Well, it's not really a sermon review. It's kind of a lecture review. But uh, from the Cripplegate blog, the headline reads, Church Planters and Mission Olatry, written by Eric Davis. Now, the Cripple Gate is, uh, you know, how do I, it, it seems to me that this is a, uh, a blog that uh, the contributors there are kind of the young, restless, reformed guys. So they've got an interesting take on this. And, you know, of course, I'm a Lutheran. I don't agree with everything in this particular article. But, 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 um, I, I got to tell you that this is an interesting article because it's written from some, by somebody who, well, has done church planting is is you know is is a church planter, and he understands all the talk and the pressure out there regarding quote being missional and having a mission focus. And this is a guy who's heard all the major uh, celebrities out there like Stephen Furtick, Perry Noble, and other guys who sit there and talk about the church existing for people who are outside of the church. And this guy, Eric Davis, he takes that on. You know, just he, well, he takes it on head on. I, this is this is like a uh, this is a young, restless, reformed, uh, you know, semi truck smashing into this idea that the church doesn't exist for believers, but exists for the uh, for unbelievers. And it's well written. So the only thing I would really take issue with is some of the language he uses regarding sanctification. I, I have a different, uh, I, I believe something differently regarding the biblical doctrine of sanctification that he does. But I, again, I, that, it, this is not about critiquing that. This is about hearing from somebody who does church planting and him basically saying, hey guys, uh, this is wrong. This idea that the church doesn't exist for believers, this is flat out wrong. And here's like eight reasons why. So uh, here, here's the article written by Eric Davis. I heard a pastor say recently, if you know Jesus, I'm sorry to break it to you. This church is not for you. I know who said that. <laughs> I'm sorry. <clears throat> he continued by addressing those who came to know Jesus the previous week at church. Last week was the last week that this church existed for you. This would be Stephen Furtick, by the way. Though uh, maybe not to not to this degree, I think many of us fledgling church planners have erred on the side of, and it's all or all about mission, philosophy, and ministry. Certainly, 
It's exciting when droves of souls are genuinely converted to Jesus Christ, no doubt. The church always needs a zeal for evangelism, and I frequently see a lack thereof myself, uh, rooted in pride and laziness. Repentance is needed insofar as doxological zeal exists in church planters. We ought to praise God. However, grave consequences result among young church planters and pastors uh, who even unknowingly embrace an all-about mission. This church is no longer for you, and the gospel causes us to look up not into ourselves and how we're doing philosophy of ministry. The error is that sanctification gets sacrificed on the altar of mission. It's an error I have made in my ministry being so fixated on getting people in. I've neglected those who are already there. This is not a problem isolated to church planting, but one that is also prevalent in the young, restless, reformed culture at large, but that's for another article. Though few likely make it their stated goal to de-emphasize personal holiness, it's happening and its pervasiveness will have certain consequences in church planting ministry for our generation. I offer eight cautions for us fledgling planters to avoid de-emphasis of sanctification in our ministries. First, if you seek to plant a church that is not for believers... You will not plant a church. Instead, you will plant something like an ongoing evangelistic crusade event. It may even be an impressive and an exponentially growing event, but it will not be a church. A church that does not exist for believers is not a church. But the church exists for believers because the church is the primary context for using spiritual gifts for mutual edification. See Romans chapter 12, verses 4 through 8. 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, the church exists for believers because other believers are to be the recipients of the 40 or so different one another commands given in the New Testament. The church exists for believers because it's the church's responsibility to train up new converts in everything that Jesus commanded. See the um, Great Commission in Matthew 28. Evangelism was one thing he commanded, but not the only. Much of Paul's commands to the churches, many to young church plants, center around heavy effort given to personal holiness, to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of your minds, Romans 12, 2, requires more, uh, more than ongoing evangelism. It requires deep commitment in relationship with other believers for the purpose of working out your salvation. A church plant is for believers while calling unbelievers to join in on both a deep personal and community effort of realizing the grace by which we have been justified. Second, if you plant a church uh, with a gospel that does not drive us towards self-examination, you will steer people towards a social gospel. There's a lot of talk about the gospel these days, which is great, but the gospel is being reduced to something I imitate rather than something by which I am saved and sanctified. We're viewing it as something to display instead of good news by which I am progressively transformed through the mortification of sin. The shift is subtle, but it's unsafe. The purpose of the gospel is not only to launch people out for humanitarian works. It is true that the power of the gospel is not restricted to justification and that justification empowers transformed transformation to become complete in Christ, progressive sanctification without which no one else will see the Lord. It is necessary. So we want people to examine themselves to see if they are in the faith. If we plant churches without a specific philosophy of ministry to help cultivate personal holiness in people, we are not helping them ensure that they will see the Lord veering towards a social gospel. Third, 
in an all-about mission philosophy of ministry and church planting, risks neglecting the focus on spiritual maturity of the saints. Souls are born again to grow. Sheep need shepherds, not just uh, door openers. We are to equip the saints so that they are no longer tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, giving care so that they grow up in all aspects of him who is the head. Paul labored to not only evangelize the lost, but move every convert towards completion in Christ. Mission Olatry will birth a culture of immature Christians who disdain correction from others, ride imbalanced doctrinal hobby horses, indulge the flesh, and are carried about by winds of crafty doctrine. Church plants, therefore, ought to position themselves to present everyone complete in Christ from the get-go, or the church will never grow beyond an evangelistic crusade. Fourth, a church that is all about mission will quickly grow irrelevant. The de-emphasis on sanctification is producing an immature over-emphasis of cultural freedom that is plaguing the church today, especially us young, restless, and reformed, to the point where we are quickly becoming silly and irrelevant. We are giving too much attention to our fauxhawks and less to repentance of heart idols. Too much time is spent thinking how to offend cultural conservatives and making YouTubes and less mourning and weeping over sin. A lack of holiness cripples evangelism. Christ was so relevant not because he was methodologically trained in missional living, but because he was so holy. The most effective missional living is not crafting the most cultural relevant outreach technique, but is in transformed people who are actually salt and light. Spiritual maturity through sanctification best equips God's people for evangelism over cultural methodology. The church may look good at first, but will not equip people to be salt and light, and so will be uh, will at best risk superficial conversions. Fifth, a church that does not exist for believers will fail to care for the hurting needs of the sheep. Shepherds have a mandate to care for the souls among them. Believing spouses in a marriage plagued by years of mistrust and bitterness will not be instantly cured by evangelism training. A young Christian man enslaved to por uh, pornography requires more feeding than being told to live missionally. Church plants that do not prioritize long-haul, unglamorous shepherding will not move from an evangelistic crusade and towards a place where the hurting can really get care for mature saints. Six, a church that does not exist for believers will fail to raise up biblically qualified leaders. One of the most important steps a fledgling planter needs to take from the outset of his ministry is to equip leaders. Church planting leadership can be lonely, vulnerable place for any young man. Competent leadership that will last in the rigorous demands of shepherding involves more than evangelism training. Certainly that is critical, but it's not exclusive. Paul's letters to Timothy are packed with God's will for the fledgling pastor uh, slash church planter. Paul certainly commanded Timothy towards missional living, but the bulk of the inspired pastoral charge is upholding sound doctrine, training up qualified leaders, rigorous devotion to personal holiness and endurance, care for the flock, hard work and faithful teaching the scripture. As a church planter gives himself to this, not only will he be more missional, but he will uh, he will equip young men around him for the marathon endurance that is non-negotiable for biblical leadership. Seventh, a church that does not exist for believers will risk future instability. Shepherds have the mandate to ensure the salvation of the flock. The shepherd's vigilant, 
Vigilant self-watch is one means of ensuring that the saved continue and finish in the faith. An excessive focus on getting people to make a decision will neglect seeing them through the testing of their faith. Saints certainly will persevere. However, if souls are not cared for beyond a profession, then there will be no one there to wisely shepherd those never really converted to see that. Fledgling planters, therefore, will do better to put more effort into vigilant self-watch over maintaining a weekly evangelistic event. Eighth, excessive focus on mission risks unfaithful shepherding. Shepherds will give an account for the souls over whom they give care. See Hebrews thirteen seventeen. We will not give an account for how many decisions we failed to prompt. Though it may feel painful to fill 32 pews on Sunday while other evangelebrities are doing 5,000, that ought not drive us to soothe our egotistical instability by missionolatry and in effect neglect the sheep. Faithful care must be thankfully given to all 32 of them. They are precious souls for whom Christ died. And they must be shepherded with eagerness and without whipping them to fill more pews than that you may hear. Well done, good and faithful servant. Jesus purchased those souls with his own blood, and the Father cares to prepare them for a great wedding uh, someday. In the meantime, shepherds are entrusted with this precious possession for whom an accounting will be given one day. Our stewardship of the groom's possessions does not end at their conversion. It only begins there. Therefore, the fledgling planters should hit the ground running with a ministry plan to prioritize sanctification in light of this future accounting. Sanctification and missional emphasis need to be and need not be an either or scenario. Many of, the, many of these are mistakes that I have made. My zeal to get people in was a proud and untamed immaturity that lusted for self admiration by increasingly filled pews. These errors were fueled by an immature disdain to buckle down and do the day-to-day -day ordinary work of shepherding the flock of God that was already uh, uh, among me. A missional zeal can, in reality, cloak an idolatrous mission-olatry, a worship of more and more, booming numbers as my secret way of self-affirmation, which I will examine in a future post. But the person and finished work of Christ is my self-affirmation. He is to be worshipped even over being missional. Fantastic article by uh, Eric Davis from somebody who's uh, been on the inside of uh, doing church planting and knows the temptations and snares of uh, mission -olatry. Well, well written. Good job, Eric. Thank you for writing that, and uh, I'm glad to pass that along. Okay, we are up on our second break. If you would like to email me regarding anything you've heard on this edition or any previous editions of Fighting for the Faith, you can do so. My email address, talkbackatfightingforthefaith.com, or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian, or you can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Uh, we'll be right back. Think Christianity, we need to rediscover it. You're listening to Fighting for the Faith. This is the air I breathe. This is the air I breathe. 
I've had enough of this sissy, frenzy, turning photo-written music you have the audacity to call worship. Men, put this entire girly praise band in the boo box. Let's wheel in the organ and get some real worship music underway. Ye be listening to Pirate Christian Radio. Keep more of your money in your pocket. Hi, Chris Roseborough here. If you're planning to travel anytime in the near future, then don't pay more for airfare, hotel rooms, or rental cars than you need to. Longtime Pirate Christian Radio featured advertiser Cheap O Air can save you a Tijuana taxi load of money on all of your travel needs. Plus, Cheap O Air has a seasonal promotional code for all of our listeners that will save you an additional $10 off of Cheap O Air's already low prices. Visit piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap, write down the promo code, and then click on the banner, and then book your travel today. Again, that's piratechristianradio.com forward slash cheap. All right, we're back. Hour number two of Fighting for the Faith. This is our time when we do sermon reviews, and uh, I'm uh, switching it up a little bit. We're going to be doing a lecture review. Because I want to keep keep uh, hammering on this idea of vision casting. So what I thought I would do is play a lecture from a guy who's probably considered one of the world's foremost authorities on it. And, um, you know, I don't know why, but yeah, I'll explain here in a second. Here we go. The good, the bad, and the ugly. We review it all here at Fighting for the Faith. We are an equal opportunity sermon reviewing service. Today we're going to be listening to a lecture by a man put out, well, basically put forward by Leadership Net, uh, Network. This would be uh, Bob Buford's organization. Bob Buford being one of the main disciples of Peter Drucker. The name of the uh, author, by the way, his name is Will Mancini. The name of the lecture is Finding and Aligning Your Personal Vision. Uh, Will Mancini is the gentleman who wrote the book Church Unique. The subtitle is How Missional Leaders Cast Vision, Capture Culture, and Create Movement. Got to tell you, after listening to this the, you know, the first time through... Um, you know, since it's entitled Finding and Aligning Your Personal Vision, yeah, I, at, at the end of it, I was just as confused, if not more confused, about this the subject than when we began. But here's the deal. It's this idea that somehow God has a unique vision that he wants to reveal regarding you and your purpose and how you do things. And you've got to somehow get clarity regarding that vision and then cast that to the young leaders in your church to get behind that and to make it happen. And so I thought, you know, if we're going to 
you know, continue to critique vision casting, I think it would be best if we would let one of the, well, the, the main dudes who's out there teaching it to at least give us some clue as to how we find our personal vision and, and do the alignment thing. And I got to tell you, this is not the most exciting of lectures. This is designed to be an educational uh, review. So just keep in mind, this is not exactly the best radio. It's a little bit dry. But again, I put it out there because this is an educational resource. If all these so-called church leaders are into vision casting and this guy's an expert on the topic, it's time to listen to what they have to say about it. All right. So without any further ado, let's kill the music here. Here is Will Mancini in Finding and Aligning Your Personal Vision. Here we go. I'll share a little bit of my story here after I pray. Uh, what's particularly exciting about this for me is I'm really an organizational clarity guy, and I've been doing that full-time for 10 years. Well, the whole time I've been accumulating uh, a whole methodology for personal clarity journey, this idea of finding and aligning your personal vision, and I've never talked about it. And so Personal I've got like this, I'm clarity. Just, uh -huh. Yeah. Uh, do you find this as one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit? Do we, does the church need guys like this? Kind of like I'm opening this package of new stuff, and I'm really excited to share it with you. Uh, and, and I want to share the spirit, too. I've got a, a, a lot of the tools and thinking over the last decade related to it, and uh, all those things have not rolled out in, in publication yet. I've written a couple books, but not in this, this space. So I'm excited to get your feedback and interaction. And this sized room is going to be ideal. Let's just, if you would be comfortable with this, making this a conversation more than a presentation, that means I want to invite each of you to just interrupt me at any time. Is that okay? Can we do that? Awesome. Let's pray and let's get kicked off. Most gracious Father, thank you for this moment in which we find ourselves, Lord. You have called us. You love us. We are your sons and daughters. We belong to one another because we belong to the body of Christ. And, Lord, in addition to that, you are the one who, uh, as, as Paul wrote in Ephesians, uh, who made us your workmanship. We are literally your poema, a handcrafted, beautifully made individual. And I pray, Lord, that you would give us insight and tools today that we might more fully live into how you created us uh, to fulfill a personal vision and mission in this lifetime. And Lord, I pray for each one in here that, that this short time we'd have together would be a little breath from you by the power of your Holy Spirit into, into our sails, under our wings, Lord, that we might walk a little bit closer to the center of our very specific calling in this world. Would you be pleased, O oh Father, to minister to us in such a way that we might see the beauty of how you've made us, that we might more passionately step into that and we okay as you're listening to the prayer my question where are you getting this theology i mean where are you, where's this theology from where in the bible does it say that somehow we each individually have a unique personal vision mission thing that god wants to reveal to us hmm we ask it in jesus name amen come on in appreciate uh help with some chairs back there my team uh james and if there's some rooms up, if you just slide your hand up, if there's some room here, uh, we got we got some folks in the in the back who need some seats. Thanks so much, guys. I want to I want to share a little bit of my journey uh, personally. I really want to challenge you today, so I want to get you to know the heart behind um, my my background. I so he's starting with his personal journey. Hmm. 
Yeah, in a case like this, I think you might want to start with all the ca- the vision casting passages in the Bible so that we know that this is actually what uh, God wants for the church because it's been revealed in his word rather than starting with your personal journey. Well, it's like the wrong place to start. I grew up in an in a unchurched home, came to Christ when my folks moved to Augusta, Georgia. I was in junior high school. They threw me in a Christian school where the gospel was being proclaimed, and it was beautiful. Found Christ there. Grew up in somewhat of a Bible church, Baptist church background in a, in a chapel in southeastern uh, Pennsylvania. Went to Penn State, was doing a chemical engineering degree. I want to t- refer to that here on the clarity journey because I was living out of other people's expectations, which is one of the greatest barriers to uh, really fulfilling your personal vision in life. And through that journey... So a barrier to fulfilling your personal vision in life is living up to other people's expectations. Got a Bible passage for that, Will. Journey felt called to ministry. I was involved in Campus Crusade for Christ. Loved doing Bible study and personal evangelism, you know, doing those little dorm surveys and lunch line surveys and having an excuse to go in and share the gospel with students. Just loved that. Didn't know what that meant, but I had a little wheel inside of me that was spinning that wanted to learn more about the Bible. Someone gave out some Howard Hendricks tapes, and, you know, I was inundated, you know, it's kind of, Love, love the thought of going to Dallas Theological Seminary, so I kind of went there for five years, uh, engineer, and then uh, got a pastoral theology degree there, and then uh, I was I was I had been involved in church organizations that were felt a little too broken, so I got enamored with church planting. So I went to be a part of a recent church plant in Houston, and was uh, pastoring there in a growing suburban church church environment. In 2001, I left staff there to work full time coaching church leadership teams. Okay? In 2001, my holy discontent was driven by one thing, that's photocopied vision. I was totally shocked and I was totally broken by the fact that most churches you'd walk into okay, were borrowing someone else's language to talk about their core DNA, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, in fact, uh, you know, Eric Dykstra um, flat out stole uh, the so-called vision that uh, Stephen Furtick got. I'm, well, yeah, I'm sure it just breaks your heart that you got all this vision plagiarism going on. But, yeah, my question is, where in the Bible does it teach that individual pastors are supposed to be receiving individual unique visions for their particular congregations and for their lives and stuff? Hmm? Right. A little purpose-driven over here, a little fully devoted follower over here, a little Andy Stanley three environments. You go into any church in America and you can trace the last book that, you know, church staff had read or the last conference they had been to, Right. And so that, what I did was, and I'm going to refer to this as well, I went through really a, like a, a three-year carnivorous learning cycle of really learning everything I could about how would an organization really find the stunningly unique you know, clarity and vision. And I wrote a book on that called Church Unique. And what I do full-time is I, is I lead a, a small band of Christ followers. We call ourselves Oxano. It means to cause to grow. And we do visioning for local churches, basically. Any size, uh, coast to coast, we have uh, on-site consulting. We've about seven or eight guys on our team who come on-site, walk side-by-side side to develop your own unique model of ministry, your own kind of organic vision. We have coaching networks called CoLab. To create your own unique model of ministry in organic, you know, the Bible doesn't teach this anywhere. What the pastor is supposed to do, the role, the job of the pastor, the responsibilities of the pastoral office, those are all laid out in Scripture, and they apply to every pastor. And so we're running collabs at any given time virtually in different cities. We work with eight churches at a time, and it's more of a coaching 
process than it is an on-site thing. And then uh, we make tools for, uh, for doing visioning. Uh, church Unique is a book I wrote. We have a vision deck. We have a vision kit that you can guide through, you know, your church through this process to do it. So for 10 years I've been doing that, and every day I'm aware of the fact that there, I believe, is uh, there's, a, there's a holy discontent that's growing in me, and that is we do a lot of strengths finders. We do a lot of personality assessments. There's a lot of stuff out there to help you get some handles on who God created you to be. There's spiritual gifts. There's, you know, Alan Hirsch is going to talk, you know, read on the Virgin, talk about Apest, right? The, you know, apostle, prophet, evangelist, shepherd, teacher. There's all these models. And you know what? There's not much clarity. There's, there's all this stuff that can get in the way. Of- the Bible's actually really clear regarding the role of the shepherd and the teacher in the church. Uh, the reason why there's lack of clarity is because guys are running around the landscape thinking they've got an individual vision from God that somehow exempts them from what the Bible teaches them and tells them to do as pastors. Of finding and aligning your personal vision. And what I want to do right now is I just want to blow all that away. And I want to give you my best and somewhat unrefined thoughts on how you can do this. And for me, this is a book that will be public, and I'm still just putting the pieces together. Now, I want to ask uh, James and Romina if you would hand out. We're not going to drive this with PowerPoint. I want it to be whiteboard-driven, and and I want you to take some notes intentionally on this. Uh, This spiral is going to drive our day, and I'm going to build everything I say off of the clarity spiral. So this uh, sheet is coming around for you to take notes. I want to I want to share some experiences on this journey, and I want to yeah, share experiences. And the in by the way, the uh, the vision spiral or whatever clarity spiral doesn't exist in scripture. This guy is basically basing every, all of his methodologies and the assumptions regarding what he's doing on his own experience, not what scripture teaches. I want to I want to give you four imperatives to finding and aligning your your personal vision. What drives me is the idea. That there are a lot of tools that don't press through to stunning clarity about, about your calling in life. Now, let me talk about my own journey. Now, what I'm going to have to do is go over, use the whiteboard, put this mic down, and then talk about what I draw on the whiteboard because they want to record this piece, okay? So bear with me as we do this. What I'm going to draw for you is a very simple diagram that set this whole clarity thing in me in motion, and it was drawn for the first time for me in 1993 when I was in a mentoring group with Howard Hendricks I met for a year and a half with a group of 12 people at 630 in the morning on Thursday morning and this picture was drilled into my head that picture I affectionately refer to as the clarity funnel and here's what how do you know Prof Hendricks Howard Hendricks you know that kind of old-school guy classic kind of legend in his own time okay he drew this picture over here it's a funnel at the top of the funnel, he would put all these X's. And he'd say to us, group of guys, he'd say, men, he said, these are all the opportunities you have in life, and most of them are distractions in disguise. He said, what I want you to do is I want you to spend your life working down this funnel, and these are all the things you can do in life, but at the bottom of the funnel is one thing that you must do in life for God. And he said, the secret to concentration is elimination. And he kept putting this bug in my mind that you're, you're going to live out of expectations. You're going to live out of possibilities. You might get distracted by money. There's all these. And this is what he said. He said, the more success you have, the more education, 
you know, whatever you're doing, if you're a little bit more successful, you'll get more opportunities. You'll have more choices. You'll have more money to spend. And he said, it's going to make it worse because you're going to have more potential distractions to the one thing you must do. And he'd say, my fear for you is not your failure in ministry. My fear is your success. And with that wheel spinning in my brain, I never stopped thinking about it. And I'm so grateful that he did that. Now, what I have done is I have applied this principle ruthlessly in my life, and I'll tell you my story. And I said, how can I improve on Prof. Hendricks' diagram? How can I build it out a little bit to make it more transferable? And so I want to introduce to you what I call the clarity spiral. And the clarity spiral is that... I want to introduce to you what I call, what I call. Um, where does the Bible teach any of this? What does the Bible call it? I mean, I'm at this point just challenging flat out uh, the, even the very premise behind what this guy does, quote, as a ministry. This is not a legitimate need in the body of Christ, nor does this help any real pastor do what he's called to do. We continue. This What I've learned is it's not a one-way street. You don't move from, you know, kind of a point of many options to the center of your calling directly okay it's not a beeline it's a spiral and what i want to do is i want to give you i'm going to write a little drawing here again i want to give you four imperatives now i got a little bit of this engineer in me so you gotta let me be a geek a little bit here okay i want to give you four vectors that you need to have kind of thrust in you need to drive these imperatives if you're going to successfully navigate the spiral here we go See those four arrows. I want you to work those four arrows, and there's going to be four imperatives that I want to unpack with you to kind of navigate. Just so you know, this is this where he's speaking at. This is the exponential conference. This is a major conference put on for church planters and church leaders. So this is a breakout session on vision casting. This thing, but remember, we don't go from point A to point B. We spiral around. The spiral teaches us something extremely important that we're going to learn, okay? That is, it takes time. It takes a lot of experience, okay, to do this. You might want to think of it as you're spiraling up a mountain, and the higher you go, the more perspective you get as you, as you move toward that sweet spot. I love the journey to the center of the earth kind of idea when I was a kid, so I think of this as a journey to the sweet spot of your calling, that central place where you know what you must do for God, Okay? So let's unpack the first vector, and I'll kind of run over there and ride it up there here like a little goofball running from the mic back over there. The first thing at the very top, the imperative is this. You need to have the courage to know. Courage to know. Benjamin Franklin said there are three hard things in life, diamonds, metal, and to know oneself. This is the engine that has got to drive this clarity process for you. And it's not an easy thing. It takes a lot of courage to really want to know and be clear about your calling. Okay? Uh, this courage to know is going to lead us to encounter the two primary obstacles to finding your personal vision or this clarity. I use clarity and vision uh, kind of as the same word a lot. I go back and forth there. So I want to talk to you about, about these two things and share with you a few illustrations. The first thing in, in this courage to know yourself 
is, is that you, you, you're going to have to deal with the expectations of others because that's going to be a massive thing to clutter. And, and you're gonna, it's going to require at some point in your life courage to step through that, okay? My, my dad, uh, who's at this conference, incredible guy in ministry, love him to death, 65 years old. He grew up as a broken, lost guy who was climbing the corporate ladder. He was busy. When I was a young kid, uh, we didn't have time to play catch. He was uh, uh, executive with DuPont. Uh, he was in the Air National Guard, and he'd fly, you know, a couple weeks a year, go away. Every once a week, you know, one, some of you guys do this, right? One weekend a month, you're off doing stuff for the National Guard. And then he had two, he was an entrepreneur. He started two businesses as well. So if I had any time with my dad, you know, it, 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 you know I can remember a few moments where um, actually we went out to play catch, and, and like five seconds later, after like one throw, he had to go to work. And I, I remember crying out there like in third grade. It was like one of the worst Saturdays of my life. Now, the reason I'm saying this is I grew up, one of my broken parts as a little boy growing up was, was really you know, kind of living for this affirmation. And, and everywhere I went, particularly in early jobs as an engineer and in early ministry, I had this, this kind of approval addiction going on, right, this need to be validated that I think traces back to just that little boy who, you know, who didn't really know if anyone really liked him and wanted to hang out with him. You see what Is it me or does this sound like the, the, what he's preaching or teaching here falls into the category of self-therapy at this point? See what I'm saying there? Now, let me give you, let me give you the three reasons that I became a chemical engineer uh, student, okay, at Penn State. In third grade... I came home with a report card, and I had made all A's, but I made a C in science. Well, guess what? Dad engaged, <laughs> right? And he sat down, and I remember his words. He said, he said, well, Mancini's do not make C's in science. He was a mechanical engineer himself and a real man of science. So it really offended my dad, okay, that uh, that, that had happened. So I never forgot that conversation. You know those conversations. You've been on the receiving end of a conversation you've never forgot that spoke into your identity like that, Right? Well, guess what? Years later, in 11th grade, I had a phenomenal connection with a teacher in high school. It just meant a lot that I really enjoyed the way this guy teached. And he happened to teach chemistry. Okay? So can you trace the dots? Mancini's don't make C's in science. I had a great relationship with this cool chemistry teacher. His name was uh, Mr. Klein. He was just a cool guy. And then when I was at about that time where I was looking through the college brochure, right, I read, I read, uh, I guess it was 1986 or something, I read that chemical engineers were the highest paid four-year degree. Whoa, that sounds good. You know, no extra education. I can kind of squeak out of there after four years and be a little ahead of all, all the other folks. And there was my very recipe, right, for what I wanted to do in life. So one of the things that I, I want to say, where are those expectations coming through to you? And what's very important in this Courage to Know piece is to, to trace kind of the patterns, the conversations that have spoken into your identity. The single greatest tool, this is so easy, I'm tempted to, write, to do a whiteboard drawing because I'm addicted to whiteboard drawings, but I want you to just maybe draw this on the back of your page. And, and just trust me, this is so powerful. Just, just draw, uh, draw a five-by-five five grid on the back of your page, a big five-by-five five grid on the back of your page. This is in the courage to know piece. This is in the courage to know piece. Uh, one, of the, one of the things I was involved with at, uh, at the Dallas Seminary is, is, is a spiritual formation process that we developed at the time for students. And what we do is we would walk through, uh, basically we do a life mapping exercise. And you've seen some of this life mapping stuff out there. But here's the real simple recipe for it. 
your five columns across your five yeah your five columns so across the top those are just put one two three four five those are arbitrary chapter markers in your life you divide the chapters of your life however you want okay you can go ahead and you know might be where you live might be different eras just totally arbitrary but you do five chapter markers and then on the left hand side there put down these words these h words put down heritage Put down high points, hard times, heritage, high points, hard times, put down hand of God, and then put down holy moments. Now, I'm not going to take too much time to explain this. So, one more time. Heritage, high points, hard times, hand of God, holy moments. This is a profound thing. Take a couple of days, spend a couple hours in private time. And what I want you to, what I, what's so amazing is if you do this exercise, you're just, how did the heritage affect me at each chapter in my life? What were my high points? I, you know, I, I'm a geeky engineer. I like to do a little graph of my life. You know, the high points, the hard times there. What were some- this is self therapy at this point. I have no idea what it, what this has to do with supposedly receiving a personal vision from God for your mission and vision in life. Whatever sovereign things that you would never chose, but but God just did it. Whether it was good or bad, it was the hand of God in your life. You know, when I was I grew up moving every two years in my life. How did that affect me every chapter of my life? Okay, it made me an extreme introvert in my early years. I mean, I was just a total nerd. I was in a little bubble all the time. And then when I kind of grew out of that, I had a whole pendulum swing, came to Christ, walked with God. I became an extreme extrovert, just nuts. And that was just a hand of God in my life. And then write down those holy moments where I've just the Holy Spirit speaking to you in a special way. And, you know, you can kind of those bright spots along the way. So that's a fun thing. And what you see with that is you see patterns. If you fill that out with bullet points in each box, begin to see profound patterns. If you want to do something really profound, get a small group, get three, four, five folks, brothers and sisters that you can really go deep with. Do your, do your charts together and share them. Take about 45 minutes and share them with one another. It's one of the most profound experiences I've ever had with other, with other human beings. Courage to know the first thing is, others, is other people's expectations and, and watch out for approval addiction. That's an obstacle on the courage to know. Oh yeah, so the, so look out. You got to deal with expectations of others and look out for approval addiction. Okay. The second obstacle on the courage to know is what I call uh, it's a projection problem, and I call this this piece uh, it's kind of a blind spot piece that we talk about projections of self. So it's ex- expectations of others is the first barrier, projections of self is the second barrier, and here's here's what I'm saying. This is a very ironic, counterintuitive thing. If you want to find and align your vision, you want to find what God's put in you, the moment that you consciously start that, more than likely you have some idolatry. I've got to expand on this word. You have some idolatry or something in you. Can I just ask the obvious question here? If God has put something inside of me that I'm supposed to go on a quest to discover, then why didn't he reveal that in his word that he's done that? Hmm? 
How did you discover that uh, that apparently God has put inside of me some specific vision and mission for my life that I've got to go on a quest to discover and that this was actually the process, the practice that God intended to put into his word but forgot to that t- teaches us how we can discover that thing that supposedly God put inside of us? Hmm? You ...that you are projecting out there and what you've got to do is you've got to undo that. You've got to get objective input to help you see the blind spot, to help you see the self-deception. Let me give you an illustration, then I'll unpack it. When I heard tapes at Dallas Seminary, I wanted to be the best preacher in the world. And at the time, from my tribe, it was Chuck Swindoll, okay? And so I had this fascination with the preaching event, and I wanted to be a great teacher and communicator, okay? Now... I began aligning my life to what was a projection of myself and what I wanted to be more than it was rooted in real crystal clarity about how God had made me. And what I want to suggest, I, I mean, I'm working with different church teams every week, and I see this projection of self all the time. You know why? Because we are lousing the body of Christ of speaking the truth in love, and we let the sin of niceness get in the way of really loving one another to say, you know what, brother? I don't see that gift in you, but I see this. You know what, sister? You are fabulous at this, but I see you kind of gravitating over here. Have you ever considered? So I want to rewind. I went to be on staff at a church in in, uh, in Houston that had been planted, and within a couple years it was running about 500 people. And I went there because I wanted to be the teaching pastor. And in those days, I wanted to be the John Ortberg of this growing suburban megachurch, seeker model deal, right? And I had my eyes set on being a John Ortberg kind of the Bill Hybels, John Orberg, twosome, right? So I get there, and and the first thing I was responsible for was children's ministry. So what happened over the years there is I would kind of build ministry areas, connect them to the vision of the church, and I'd keep, and I was kind of this, you know, early form of an executive pastor. Well, about six months to a year, and we're growing like crazy at the time, and our senior pastor decided to hire a teaching pastor, okay? Let me tell you what happened to Will Mancini. 18 months of incredible jealousy, of just anger, of all kinds of crap going on in me because someone had come in into the position that I was that I was jockeying for, okay? And, you know, I was at Dallas Seminary who knew how to exposit the word. This guy was from Southwestern. He was kind of a lightweight, you know. Oh, and on top of that, he's just one of the funniest guys in the world. You know, I'm this nerdy engineer. And I, you, know, you can imagine, you know, every time, you know, our congregation's laughing at this, this communicator, I'm like, I should be up there. It was just awful. It was awful. Now, here's the moment that set me free. So my senior pastor at the time, his name is Bruce Wesley. I'm still my home church, so Bruce is still my, my senior pastor. Bruce said to me in a moment where I was pissed off, and I, I had almost had my U-Haul truck ready to leave this, this deal because I felt like this bait switch had happened to me. So Bruce said to me one afternoon, very quietly, he said, Will, he said, you're a, you're a leader first and a teacher second. I need you to lead. If you get a chance to teach good, I need you to lead. He said, Yancey, who's our teaching pastor, he said, Yancey is a teacher first, can't really lead anything, and I need him to teach. I hated hearing that. But as my life progressed, that completely saved me. That, those words of brutal honesty set me free. Now, it took a while. Okay, So here's my question. Where do you get that brutal honesty that becomes that brutal honesty? Right? It's brutally beautiful in your life. Brutiful. <laughs> and I want to tell you that courage to know peace is absolutely essential in those are your two obstacles. 
expectations of others, projections of self. One is about approval addiction. The other is about blind spots. Okay? So you've got to, you've got to put that thing, put that thing uh, in high gear on the courage to know yourself. Now, that's only one imperative. I love talking about that piece. We've got to move on. I want to give you one other nugget there with, with that. What, what I found is it, you, when you don't... One other nugget. I haven't received a single nugget yet. Don't know what you don't know. There are things... You, all of us have blind spots. There's all these things where you don't know what you don't know. And what I found is you can actually penetrate that. You can know what you don't know. The portal to that is always questions. The portal to that is always questions. And there's two ways to get your questions answered, through books and through people. So what, what you can do, I, I call this carnivorous learning. And if there's any field of knowledge you want to master, and especially if you want to know this about yourself, you want to start asking questions all the time. Now, here's the way you ask questions about books. You ready for this? You can't ask a book a question, but a good book was written to answer a question. So this is called the principle of syntopic reading. And not many of us in ministry have been trained to do it. If you want to master a topic, what you don't do first is read, okay, a bunch of random stuff in that area. You want to, you want to get exposure to as many, you want to get, you want to get the cover, the inside flap. You can do this on Google. You can go to a, you know, old school library, whatever you want to do. Find out as many books as you can list in your topic and write down the question that every one of those books is trying to answer. And what you create is a catalog of questions that introduce you to all these questions that people smarter than you have asked in that category. So you get a list of questions, and then you, you do your kind of reading kind of pathway from that. And then the whole time, you always find people who know something a little bit more than you about a subject. And guess what? Anyone you're working with knows more about you than, they, than, they, than you think they do. And if you start asking them questions, you'll start penetrating right, these layers of self-knowledge, of self-awareness. Now, one thing you can do in particular, if you have this idea of what you want to do that's different from what you're doing now or you're not sure about it, you can always find somebody in that category. And I tell you what, you will always be surprised how gracious people are when you want to spend time with them. I have shadowed everybody I can possibly think of in terms of vision and, and learning this thing as a, as a nobody kid who just wanted to get started and help, help folks in the, in the vision category. So just remember that. It, there's more I can unpack on that, but we have to move on. But just you, you can know what you don't know. The portal is questions. You've got books and people, and you've got a wealth of knowledge at your fingertips if you ask, okay? The second imperative, I want to talk about experience to grow. Experience to grow. This is somewhat of an obvious piece, but it, it's really got to be stated. And here's what I want to say about this. You cannot make this beeline to clarity. You have necessarily got to see this spiraling function as a gift. What I want you to do is put hash marks you know, every so often on the spiral, maybe three on the outside. And think of the years of your life, okay? If you said, Will, I want to really find and align my personal vision, and you're starting today for the first time, I'd put a couple hash marks there. I'm saying, you know, the first couple of years, you're not going to go zoom right to the center. But you're going to be kind of spiraling around the outside. And the good news is every single experience speaks. Everything speaks on your clarity journey. 
So you look back in time over everything that you've ever done. You look at where you are today, and you're going to find fruit. Now, here's your secret to unlocking that, because some of you I know have had difficult situations, and you're a little actually resentful sometimes toward God about the crappy stuff you've had to walk through. You had a bad boss for a couple of years. You're in a broken ministry model or just things were tough. All the junk, we've all, you know, aggregated junk, right? Here's what I've learned in the experience to know. Your positive experiences develop confidence. Your negative experiences are even better. You know why? They develop your conviction. And so you, you begin to shape and understand yourself and understand God's calling through the lens of these experiences that you've accumulated. See every single experience you have as a gift. Okay? I'm talking fast, and I, I wanted this to be interaction. So let me just hit the pause button right now there. Any burning questions right now? Develop your conviction. Yeah, I got a question. Where is any of this taught in the Bible? Yes. Yes, when I think of, yeah, I, I think of the word identity and vision are very closely related for me. So when we work with a church organization, for example, it's very important to mine out and understand identity and then let that identity translate. So a very important mantra that I would say is you cannot be anything you want to be, but you can be everything God wants you to be. So, yeah, identity, understanding that, and letting that then fuel a vision is, is, uh, is important. And, and we want to think about the relationship there. Yes. I mean, I mean that it's kind of that non-negotiable starting point. How did your heritage, let's say some of you grew up with, with less money in the household, some of you grew up with more. You didn't choose that. You just showed up in a household that had a certain level of income. How did that one thing, you know, anything, anything, any of those non-negotiables of your family life that you, you, you got into, how did that affect every chapter of your life? Yes. Okay, what you're, what you're doing, and it takes some time, prayerfully, go in and go, okay, in this chapter of my life, I'm going to write bullet points out for each. Do it like you're going to give a 45-minute presentation of your life and write down bullet points. How did heritage affect me in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3? What, what were the high points in chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3? There's something very mysterious about this process. Most of us have never seen our life through that, and you see pattern in it. The chapters are, yeah, the chapters are like my, you know, let's play it out. My early, cha- it's whatever, whatever makes sense for you. You might go from, I want to do 0 to 18, and these were my, you know, these were my Missouri years. And then this is, you know, 30 to 40 were my early career years, whatever that is. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you want to ask questions related to process. Don't ask the church planner, you know, ask the church planner, how did you know you wanted to be a church planner? 
you know, and, and so really, you know, really sit down and think about those questions. The questions are the key, are, are really the key there. So, you know, to, you know, if you're really excited about church planning, you think that's what God's calling you to do, you know, start, you know, ask questions related, you know, related to that. And then, you know, start asking the questions from, from people who might validate or not, you know, that calling on your life. So, yeah, a lot of times what part of this grid for me was what I realized is there's always these expected categories of ministry out there. And see, what I do now defies any categories. But where it came from was this, was this, you know, this, this cycle, courage to know, experience to grow, and just kept kind of iterating like that. So what I, what I want for you, what I want for each of you is not to be an expected category of ministry. That's what the spiral is about. If you follow this, you will create, by God's prior creation, something that you're doing that matches you better than anything else that anyone else can create. And the bad news is even with good managers and good people and good ministry environments, a lot of people don't give a rat's hiney really about you. We're gonna, a lot of people say they do. So this behind this thing is you want to take this personal responsibility. Now, that could be seen very selfish. I'm assuming this is a, a white-hot Christ father who really is living and finding a very specific. This process will lead you to a specificity that the rest of the world can't handle. The number one question I get asked is, well, how did you get to what you, where you are today? And, and, this, and this, is, this is my answer. What I'm, you know, for the first time I've ever shared this, and this is what, this is how. One more question, then I'm going to move on. Jose? Yeah, I, I, this could really come across disrespectful, so I'm not speaking out of both sides of my mouth. We've got to ask questions all the time, but most people don't have a clue if they've not really walked, tracked with you deeply here. So you're learning, but you've got to integrate this learning, avoid expect, you know, false expectations of others, self-projection. So it's, a, it's really a both and. So there's a part of me that says ask, 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 and listen, listen to everybody. There's a part of me that says you've got to take responsibility for yourself at this. I, what I found, in, you know how many times I've watched a team take strength finders? In ministry, we're just running too fast. It's like your direct supervisor in ministry probably doesn't really care that much about your strengths. Now, there are good, there are, it's rare. I just hate to report it. It's rare when you find a team that's really flexible enough. They really believe in you. Get the right, but they're out there. They're out there looking at, you know, John Ferguson, not close to that culture, but I would guess that's a culture where this is real fluid and they kind of do that. There's some really healthy cultures out there, but you can't count on that bringing you to the central point. So appreciate your thoughts there on this. Now, there is, there's two things, there's two spots on this spiral that are, are it's, it's, I'm still figuring out how to articulate where, how they relate to the spiral. To me, there are these moments of, of, uh, of light that give you clarity, and they give you a handle for the rest of the entire spiral. Is it me or is this guy like just trying to find some way of concocting a way of objectifying the subjective? And he's come up with his own system, but I mean, how do you know? I mean, if I came up with my own system, my my system wouldn't be better than his system because none of this is in the Bible. And I don't know what any of this has to do with the pastoral ministry. 
okay? And, and so I'm going to draw them up on here as a couple of, uh, of spots on the journey. And I'm just going to draw them as asterisks on here. Now, I told you I'm still in development of this material, so don't hold this against me. But what I want to say is there's this place, and the single most important tool I could give you is what I call your motivational view of the world. Okay, your, motiv- your, your MVW, your motivational view of the world. I believe there's something that none of our tools today have enabled us to access that's the most profound moment of driving this clarity spiral. And here's how I want to say it, because here, here's why most, most tools and assessments are analytical. Here's what I mean. They're an analysis. Strength finders is a list of strengths. Disc sizes up my personality, right? And you've got, you know, we could go through and list all these. You guys are exposed to a lot of different ones, you know. You know, the, the Berkman and all the, there's just tons of stuff out there. Now, very, none of them, almost none of them are a, what, a synthesis. And here's what happens when we synthesize as believers. We say, my vision in life is to follow Jesus passionately, right? And I, whenever I get these personal clarity conversations, you know, it's the hardest thing in the world to do because I don't want to, you know, pour cold water on a guy's passion. We're like, that's not a vision. Your vision, I would suggest, has got to be more specific than being a disciple or follower of Christ. Now, that's obviously a fundamental part of the whole deal. But God created you to do something more specific than that. There's a specificity within that. So I want to I kind of draw this, draw this picture of umbrellas. I've got to illustrate this for you, but I'm going to have to talk and go draw on the board at once. The way the, there's a, a very simple template that I want to encourage you to wrestle with for years, for years. I had two word, I had answered this template, uh, an answer to this template I'm going to give you for years, and about two years ago it changed again. And it was it was not changing fundamentally; it was getting more specific. And here's the phrase I want you to write down. This is your motivational view of the world. Okay, put in Joe's name. Joe exists to honor God and help others by blank, blank. The first blank is an I-N-G word. Joe exists, Betty exists to honor God and help others by blank, blank. So as you drive this spiral, what I'm going to suggest is the most helpful tool that you can do is discover and articulate your motivational view of the world that's broad enough to capture every part of your life, but it's more specific than following Jesus. And when you can name that in two words, you have substantial clarity. Let me, get, let me illustrate in my life, okay? Through a, through a course of, ex, of, of uh, just, there's a certain point, I would say, my late 20s, I began to recognize through the life map, courage to know, experience growing, everything, that I, I gravitated toward clarity. That was a word. I was fascinated with clarity. Let me give you some places along the way that, that I realized this. Um, when I was, I was so frustrated in existing church, you know why? Because I didn't see clarity. I didn't know it at the time. I wanted to be a church planner. What fueled my church planning was not being a church planner. It was my, it was my desire to be a part of something where I could be instrumental in the clarity of it. Okay? So that thing what was happening to me. I left seminary, and I had a defining moment. I don't know how to describe it. It was really weird. It, it I, I went to Dallas Seminary to learn scripture. I left seminary and I went, oh my gosh, I don't understand how the Psalms fit into, into, the, into life. They were still a mystery to me. It sent me on a three-year 
syntopic reading journey where I read everything I could on the book of Psalms because I didn't have clarity. There's something in me that was so unsatisfied because I didn't know what the essence of the Psalms was, right? And then I realized, well, that's why I went to seminary. I didn't want to go into ministry without feeling like I could firsthand get to know and handle Scripture, okay? So that was just something that was going on there. And then, you know, then I was, you know, I realized that this, you know, I wanted to be a part of the reinvention of strategic planning. I wanted to help churches really do that. I realized that my holy discontent was, was, was most profound. I had a Nehemiah experience. I was so broken and heart, heartbroken when I walked into a Lutheran church. That's one of the top ten in the, you know, Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod denomination. has 6,000 churches. And they've got, an, they've got a guest brochure that looks like it's Andy Stanley's church. And I'm going, this is ridiculous, man. You know, this isn't clarity. And so I began, I started Oxano and built this clarity process. So at some point I recognized that there's something about clarity in here now. Now, it, forgive me for saying this so fast. I want to give you this illustration. I had the words bringing clarity. Will man City exist to, to honor God and help others by bringing clarity? And I realized it still wasn't the best expression because one of the best questions you can ask, here's a book you might want to read. It's uh, Arthur Miller's Why You Can't Be Anything You Want to Be. And he uses kind of a motivational ability construct to talk about this but most tools don't get this specific to name it in two words. There's some magic in going after the right two words. And, and one of the questions in there that's really profound, Craig Grishel echoes this question a little bit in some of his stuff in the book uh, Chalzone. Here's a question. What have you, um, two questions. One of them is, what gave you deep, deep, deep satisfaction, although no one recognized it? You didn't get an award for it. No one was there cheering you on. You just did something. Go back to junior high. Go back to high school. Go back to college. You felt more alive in that moment than anything else you've, you've ever. But no one ever knows it. You kind of you had that inside of you. Okay? And I, there was two things that happened. When I read that question, I identified two moments in life where I felt a high, and no one knew about it. And they're the geekiest thing in the world. It's hard for me to share with I was in uh, chemical engineering. Well, at Penn State, we went to an organic lab. People hated organic chemistry. I loved it. We went to a lab. You know, imagine a huge a building as big as this. It's got those black lab, you know, counters, those chrome spigot things in there. You'd go in there. People hated it. And it was the intersection of concept and hands-on kind of work because you're measuring chemicals, you're burning stuff, you're spilling stuff on yourself, and people hated it. I absolutely love it. I love the intersection of that, of that concept meets application right in the first moment. I was, I, I, I was the highest grade in the class. I, I was trying to be recruited to, to do chemistry for a living. They gave me a free ride if I wanted to do it. I didn't want to do it. I didn't want to be a chemist at all. And so I just said, said no to that deal. And then years later, I, I got a first job before going to seminary. I worked in the oil field. So you, they take these you know, snot-nosed, bratty you know, college grads, and they, they take you to a world training center. I worked in the oil field, and what we would do is we'd pump cement down oil wells. Okay, all over the world they do this. Every oil well that's made, you have to concrete a steel pipe in the ground that oil flows through. It comes up. So they've got they've got millions of dollars on the line when they send a young college kid out to the field, and he pours some you pour cement the wrong way, you screw up, you know, a million dollar well. So what they do is they they put you to three months of intense. I mean, it's it's like military boot camp, intensive training. And so I went to a place where now it's not about book smarts. You're like, you're rebuilding pumps, you're driving 18 wheelers because you've got to take the whole chemical plant out there you know, on, a, on a mobile deal. And it's this 
fascinating once-in-a-lifetime experience where high concept meant drive, you know, driving hands-on doing stuff. And so I went, and, and then I, the last part of this whole two-word exercise journey for me is I realized that my spiritual gifting is discernment first, leading second, and teaching third. There's a leader in me that would hate to bring clarity and not see it applied, not see it immediately put into action. And I changed my two words from bringing clarity to applying essence, applying essence. Will Mancini exists to honor God and help others by applying essence. That's my motivational view of the world. Now, let me show you how this works in, in encompassing one, two, three, four there. Okay. I'm a father. I don't even know what any of this means. I Father of three. I'm a husband, my beautiful bride back here, Romina in the back. Okay, so I have an identity as a husband and a father. Okay, how do I see my responsibility as a husband and a father? I want my wife, I want to see my wife's essence, how God created her, applied beautifully in the world. I want my children, as I disciple them, I want to see the essence of walking with God applied in their life. And you can begin to imagine now how I can look at every identity I have. I'm the founder and clarity evangelist of Oxano. And I talk about organizational clarity on behalf of the church, missional clarity on behalf of the church. And so I get to apply the essence of what God is doing in the church world as I do that work in training leaders in that area. So now here's where the magic happens. I travel a lot. I can't tell you how many times I felt guilty. Someone's coming to sit next to me on the airplane, you know, and you go through that little guilt wrestling, you know, and, you know, am I on for Jesus? How, you know, what am I going to share? How am I going to listen? All that stuff. And you know what released me? from that whole weird thing that happens for all of us, when that person comes down, I don't, it doesn't matter how tired I am. I can go on a guilt trip so fast when I'm tired because I want to turn off, you know, the whole Jesus responsibility of that person. I never want to turn off applying essence. I'm never too tired when that person sits down. And I'm thinking about, I get to help somebody by applying essence. And all of a sudden, what's applying essence? Is it like a lotion? I'm more interested in their story. I'm more interested. Maybe the clarity they need isn't about the Savior of the universe in this moment, but maybe I can serve them, make a connection. You know, anything in my, you know, my motivational view of the world, it just helps me re-engage in a whole new way. You, you tracking with me there? So it's a portal through which you can look at everything. That's what the motivational view of the world is. The portal through which you can look at everything. And I honestly believe that God has given you a motivational view of the world that kind of lights you up and you get to really dig everything that you're called to do when you see that. Okay? Questions about that? Don't have much time here. I gotta unpack two more imperatives. Yeah. Well 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 what I what it, I mean, yes and no, you're not giving up anything if on this journey you're moving closer and closer and closer to that. So, see, I, I love the fact that I can see my work at Oxano as, a, as a one expression of the way that I apply essence. It doesn't bifurcate me as a father, a husband in my ministry, right, or if I'm on an airplane. I'm just, I kind of, I live through that, that sweet spot. So, no, because no, I can do things that get me off track from that or I can see everything through that. So... I mean, it, it's, it's the beauty of limitation of finding that one thing, in a sense. So, again, it's not the whole thing, but it's a huge asterisk on this, on this journey to find that, okay? 
Great question. One other quick question on this. Yeah. Yeah, it's a long-term journey. Use, I mean, the most important words, tools, words create worlds. Words are incredibly important here. And so I geek out over words. I have three thesauruses I reference. I'm always looking for the right words here. That's what I help churches do, build, build everything, you know, their model of ministry with the right words for them. So pay very attention, and there's so much nuance with the slightest change of a word. I, uh, I've helped friends do some of this stuff. It's just sometimes uh, I'm thinking of Kaz McCaslin, the president of Upward, the whole sports ministry. He's touching you know, his, his thing is motivating leaders, and he can see everything through the rubric of motivating leaders. Okay, that's a simple illustration. I uh, was helping uh, Chris Willers at Leadership Network guy here. His wife was going through kind of a life planning thing. We were out in the back of her porch with her, and she just wasn't finding the right, you know. And I started talking about this within three hours. We had the words designing enjoyment, designing enjoyment there. And it was just a really interesting way. It just She lit up as she began to do that. Now, I'm saying, hey, put that as your placeholder, but keep working this spiral and see if you can ever clarify or be more precise with that. Okay, but you want to really you're not this is not this has no meaning to anybody but you right now. So find the most precise work met with one one guy, you know, his, his I think was awakening redefinition. And his whole passion was uh, we got to introduce, you know, reintroduce people to Jesus Christ, Christ before Christianity as a value. This awakening, awakening redefinition was we want to I want to live my life to erase people's bad definitions of who Jesus is so they can have a right definition of Jesus. Um, there, and, and so I just have kind of a Rolodex of these interpersonal relationships where I've done this, but I've not written on it yet. But have fun with that. I, I, was, with, I was with a guy recently, high-level executive pastor, fast-growing church, felt called to do something else. He called me on the phone. You know, Six months later, he called me back. He said, I, I think I found my, my two words. His two words were facilitating movement. And what he felt like, he was called in the life of an organization. I found my two words. Exposing heretics. Those are mine. There we go. Once it had a demonstrated model of ministry, but it wasn't yet completely expanded, he felt like he could come in the right time in an organization and really accelerate that, facilitate movement. And then as soon as it got to a whole new level, he wanted to go to the next startup thing. And so he saw it in a very specific kind kind of way there. Yes. Yeah, okay, I'm going to talk about a second asterisk. The first one is motivational view of the world. So that first one is MVW. And and I'll tell you the second one here in just a second. We're not going to get there yet, so let me fill this out. Third one is value to show. Now, I put the motivational view of the world there first. At this point, you're, you've got courage. You're experiencing. You're evaluating this. You've got this tool. Now, here's what's going to happen. The third imperative is value to show value to show you're going to grow in your awareness of what you're good at ahead of maybe others and what you're going to want to do now is negotiate within your existing ministry calling your church structure wherever you are you want to begin to negotiate your role description so that you're moving more toward your sweet spot this is the part that i really get excited about because i feel like our existing to okay great i'm an id on the disc Okay, I'm a I, discernment leadership teaching. Okay, I, you know, I'm an ideator. I'm a, I'm a you know, maximizer. I'm, I'm these on the strength finder. It's like, well, who cares? Well, now you've got to figure out how to dialogue with 
If you're not the point leader in your organization, you've got to figure out how to dialogue with people in and around your organization, with your boss, your su direct supervisor, and begin to take many steps of walking closer to the center of this thing. Okay? And I don't know what that looks like for you, but I want to encourage you to, and, and here's the key thing, I think it's incredibly important. I went through a season in my life where I understood the idea of biblical authority, and I believe there's an umbrella of authority. And if I'm in an organization and I feel called to work in that organization, my direct supervisor is an authority over me. So the challenge here is how do you negotiate with wisdom and grace and respect given the fact that your role description might be in 100% in someone else's hands. Are you with me there? And so now you've got you've to just begin to work that journey and, and have those conversations. And this is the part that's, still, that's the most unrefined for me, but I believe it's very important to appropriately engage the, those things. I, you know, I did when I was, after, after I got a little clarity and I was okay with being a leader at this church, I wanted to be involved in more of the mission stuff, and I asked for more responsibility as an early staff member, and I began to take on things, okay? We were meeting. We had 2,500 people. We were still meeting in school before we first built our first building. I constantly butted heads with our worship pastor. He was kind of a, an, an, an SC on the disc, but high S, low everything else, and he was over the operations of our setup and teardown. In the ministries I was overseeing, it was a total disaster. Here, I'm a guy that's out in the oil field, you know, you know, leveraging and, and kind of moving lots of equipment all the time. I mean, I, and I just kept butting heads with this guy. And I finally said, I don't think it's best for our church to, you know, for him to be over that. It wasn't a sexy thing for me, but I realized, hey, I could, you know, and I negotiated. And I kept move, making little changes to my role description on, on the benefit of the church and kind of doing and living out of what I felt called to do there. And so I don't know what that looks like, but what I know is you can't just rest back, sit back and not take responsibility for that. So here's, here's my challenge to you. You've got one life to live. It's a short life. And if God has wired you up to do something specific, man, just go in there, respectfully start negotiating, dialoguing. Um, if you feel underutilized, find the best way you can to do that. I wish I had some more stuff there to unpack at that level. I really don't. But I know you can get, you can get somewhere if you if you're willing to, to have that, that conversation. Anybody have a story or two that you feel like would be a great kind of teaching point there on this, this, this idea? Yes. Okay. It's a great word. I'm so glad you said that. And it triggers something else. I, I think the folks that, that deserve the opportunity to grow are folks that can think globally on behalf of the organization. There's too many, too many folks that are about their own little deal, their own ministry department, their own passion area. So I think there's a radical kind of uh, almost a counterintuitive principle. The more that you're thinking globally, the more that you're going to be elevated and given opportunities to, you know, explore and do your, do your stuff there. So that's, that's the value to show. Great word. Any other just insight briefly on this idea of negotiating the value that you're, as you walk this journey and you're refining your role description in an existing organization?
Okay. Let's do this. Two more things I want to share here. Last one here is courage to go. Now, this one is really, really tough. Now, here, here's the hardest, the hardest thing for me in my own journey. You ready for this? If good things are enemy to the best, if you're going to step into a better place, you're, and you're, let's imagine you're taking positive steps two or three times. It gets so good, your greatest enemy to finding your must thing for God, to finding and aligning your vision, is you are going to get stuck in a really, really good place because you're not going to be willing to take that risk. You're not going to be willing to cut that lifeline and not know where that next place is going to be. Let me tell you what, the most important thing, when someone says, well, how in the world did you get to do what you do today? I had to leave five things that were so good that most people don't have the guts to leave a good place like that. Okay? And it's such a leap of faith, most people just never do it. Okay? Every single time I took a huge leap forward on my clarity spiral, I had four or five people saying, you're crazy, Will. Don't leave that. Why would you leave that salary? Why would you leave that opportunity? And for some, for some reason, there's a little quote. Every one of those steps, God gave me this quote early on. I, can't, I don't even I didn't need to do the research and know where it came from. A ship is safe in harbor, but that's not what a ship was made for. And every time on that line, there's always a line where I walked in. It's when I left my first engineering job and didn't have a job, didn't know what I was going to do. But I said, you know what? If I'm really going to be honest, I'm called to ministry. And it was like I cut my throat. And then the greatest thing that happened to me was I was rehired back on the spot in a better job I could ever imagine, kept the same salary, and it gave me like a year to get ready for seminary. Really weird story on the details, but God blessed that immediate step of faith. Okay, leaving a great church to do coaching and consulting. People said, don't do it. Don't leave the opportunity that God's given you right there. Took a step of faith. year later, I felt my calling accelerate in ways I never imagined. I loved doing what I was doing for a living more than I could ever imagine because you had that courage to go. That is such a fundamental thing. So these four imperatives drive this clarity spiral. I'm going to end on one little thing. I won't develop it at all, but I'll at least get it up there so you can be thinking about it. And it's the words, number two on here, I believe that for each of you, there is a sweet spot that I would call ideal context. Ideal context. This is where your strength finders and disc and those different things can help you. In brief, you can, I, I quickly paint a, a broad brushstroke of four different categories. There's the, there's the entrepreneur loan guy or gal that works by themselves. There's a, just think of it as small, medium, large. There's small, medium, large businesses, ministries, you name it. There are things that you do something with three to 25 people. There are things that are kind of that 25 to 200 midsize range. There's organizations that go from 200 to thousands. Just got a question, okay? You know, I have an MBA from Pepperdine. I've been a CEO before. I'm familiar with personality tests and, and you know, strengths and weaknesses, you know, uh, tests that will help you, you know, figure all of that out. Isn't it weird that somehow that at this point, you know, we're taking all of this and turning it into vision and mission from God, that somehow this is somehow some unique thing that you, you've got to chase after. But the reality is this, is that if you've lived life long enough, then you know that there's a good chance that you're going to switch careers partway through your life. I mean, what I was doing 10 years ago is not what I'm doing today. 
And I would not say that what I was doing 10 years ago was not what I was made for. And what I'm doing today is what I'm made for. Even though, even though I'm a Christian apologist, a theologian, and, and, you know, and, you know, I do radio for a living. I mean, yeah, one could argue that, yeah, well, this is, this is a calling from God. I'm not going to argue with that. But the reality is, is that, I've been called from God to do a lot of things. Some of them play to my strengths and weaknesses better than others, and yet I had to do them. In the vocations that I've had, in being a husband, being a, a father, uh, being an employee, you, you get what I'm saying here? It's like, <sighs> I feel like they've come up with some psychological way of somehow trying to divine uh, the, the tea leaves of purpose in your life, and... Uh, Oh, man, it's just, you know, I, I'm sorry. I just see this as, as somewhat vacuous and, and a distraction in some ways. And that the fact that they're tacking God's name onto it, I, I just find that to be blasphemous. In every one of those contexts, okay, enables or disables you based on your motivated view of the world, the other things that God has made up. And I think it's very important to name that as you spiral on this journey. Just be thinking about that as a very practical part of finding and aligning your, your personal vision here. And you know, the most important thing I could say about kind of that ideal context, it's in the experience to grow there. I believe there's a real magic in being in a place for about three years. Three years allows you to integrate learning around a certain kind, a way of being. And what I realized in my life was I was a part of all those four different sizes for about three years, and that really accelerated my understanding of myself, of what God was doing in my life. Um, and so I was a part of an organization that was thousands, Dow Schlumberger. You know, I immediately went to a group that was just three or four of us in, in there, and I just kind of bounced these different sizes. And I realized this pattern of having, if you're tempted to leave too early, you might miss out on some experience to grow if you're really discontent in the area. So, again, remember, positive experiences build your confidence negative experience builds your convictions there as you work the spiral thanks so much for being an audience as i've worked on some still refining this content thank you so much for coming here we'd love to talk to you we've got an after hours thing tonight okay uh yeah i'm just gonna end right there uh so yeah so that's from one of the top experts in vision casting and he works with churches trying to help pastors identify their unique unique Vision from God, and um, is this based any in any way whatsoever on the scriptures, or just some you know do they proof text to try to? I mean, I didn't hear nothing from the Bible, but again, I kind of warned you ahead of time, but I want to put that out there so that you all can hear it for yourself. Um, you know, listening to one of the top experts on vision casting out there in the in the church leadership world. Um, it sounds to me like it's a work in progress and, um, even what he's, um, well progressed on, uh, um, well, I'm not a very impressed with at all. I'm just, you know, frustrated. So little real content there and so much frustration, but I mean, what was your take? I mean, did, was God speaking to you? Did you hear the Holy Spirit while you were? Listening to what, if if that's what you think, take an orange or, you know, take a Pepsi and it'll probably go away. All right. We are at the end of another, well, broadcasting week of Fighting for the Faith. And, uh, you know, just want to remind you all, Fighting for the Faith, this is listener-supported radio. We truly do depend upon your 
generous gifts and financial contributions to keep bringing this important radio outreach to you into the world. You can partner with us by visiting our website, fightingforthefaith.com, and clicking on one of the friendly yellow buttons. And thank you, thank you, thank you for your support. We honestly, truly cannot do what we do without your help. All right, so I, I warned you ahead of time. What'd you think? I'd love to get your feedback. If you'd like to email me, you can. My email address, talkback at fightingforthefaith.com. Or you can ask to be my friend on Facebook. It's facebook.com forward slash pirate Christian. You can follow me on Twitter. My name there, Pirate Christian. Till, well, Monday. May God richly bless you in the grace and mercy won by Jesus Christ and his vicarious death on the cross for all of your sins. Amen. Amen.